Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and DJs of the future. This episode of the podcast is supported by Bitwax, the online vinyl store that accepts cryptocurrencies as payments alongside standard card payments. I used to own a record shop many years ago and still have a solid vinyl collection in my studio today. There's nothing better than receiving your new favourite track through the post, peeling off the plastic and actually touching the music. Go to www.bitwax.co.uk and treat yourself today. You can find more episodes of this podcast on iTunes, Spotify and Mixcloud. Simply search Felix Leiter in the house. In this episode, I talk to LKP about a lot. DJ equipment, record shopping, crate digging, club culture and more. LKP is a legend in the Northeast R&B and hip hop DJ scene, but he's so much more than that too. His career in music is fascinating and it's set on an incredibly interesting trajectory too, with projects lined up with T-Sides Lee Walker and his own live duo amongst many other things. Stay tuned for some mighty crack. Let's get into it. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are. Right in the house today with uh, LKP, um, I would, as always, I'm not going to do an introduction. We're going to, we're just going to learn about him as we go. And we always start with the same sort of question in the same place, which is, what's your first memory of music like where did you hear it first who was playing it was it in the cow of your parents was it an older sibling was it you know like just where was that first memory of you hearing music and, and identifying it i've got a few really to be honest man i remember um <laughs> going on a caravan holiday and uh my i think i think it was an hour price i think dad picked up uh, the q the q tape it must have been might be q tape 1990 so i would probably been about seven or eight I remember that just being worn out in the car. So what's a what's a Q tape? Yeah, Q magazine. Ah, right, I get you. Sorry, Q right, magazine. Okay. Uh, yeah. It was like their compilation album. I get that, it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember what's on that tape, man. Uh, Shin, uh, was Sinead O'Connor on that tape? There might have been um, Jesus Jones was on that tape. International Bright Young Thing, Thieves in the Temple by Prince, uh, which is still a great record. And um, the the song that really sticks with us from from then is um, "Love Raises Its Ugly Head" by Living Color, who were okay. like a, 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 a rock band from um, America, but like really soulful as well. So that that sort of stuck with us. Um, and I'm pretty sure on that on that caravan holiday, it was also around the time that um, "Dangerous" by Michael Jackson came out yeah. the album, and obviously that amazing album cover. Exactly. Well, you yeah. say that amazing album cover. Okay. Um, it was a we we had it on you know like cassette that let's say was taped from the library potentially um, yeah we had it so with like a photocopied black and white cover in a cassette so it didn't really have the sort of magic of the uh, I think you raised like because this like talking to people always brings back different memories and, and highlights different points Ooh. and I, sorry mate I've just realised I've left me sat nav on <laughs> and it was just starting to talk to so me right. we um, never arrived so yeah but because I was going to make a point which is like you, everyone makes different things and, and brings stuff up and like. That whole memory of um, CDs that came in magazines, like, and oh, I know, shit. It, yeah, yeah, and I know yeah. it seems funny now, but it just doesn't happen, right? Because obviously the digital age and the, the cost of everything. Yeah. But like, yeah, man. I mean, even like, I remember even one of my one of my favorite ever cover CDs. I'm let, let me right. I'll, I'll give you mine if you want. Just yeah. save the same one. Okay. Was it music magazine M U Z I K. 
Okay. Uh, it was... Um, which doesn't exist anymore. Which doesn't exist anymore, um, much like many of them. It was um, 1997, the tunes. It was 1990. Like, wow. that, that was one of the... I've still got it on CD. I've still got it. And it was... It, it had had Underworld on, had Dream Team on, had uh, Dom and Roland, had uh, Roy Davis Jr., Gabriel, one of the greatest writers I've made. Um, but it had, had loads of... Had, like loads of apple. It was like a cross genre, but all credible, not mixed, which is why I've still got it. Yeah. <laughs> so you could rip it and you could actually properly use it as well. Uh, Fatboy Slim, what else do I have on it now? But I, like, you know what I mean? It's like that's a free CD and it's completely stuck in my head. The track list is still in my head. Like, it's like 17 tracks, I think. The, um, so the one for me was like, so there was, a, I think it was called Ministry Mag, which was mm-hmm. basically connected to Ministry of Sound. Mm-hmm. And me and my best pal had gone down to, um, uh, had gone down to London to go to ministry, weirdly. Yeah. And we'd come out, and at the time, ministry, and this is even more expense, like people now, like executives would be like, this is ludicrous. Ministry at the time had done a north-south split, and they'd done like the front cover and the mix, and the cover CD on the south version was different to the north version. Wow. And the south version was... It was ja- garage. It was, <laughs> was Jazzy M, and it was the oh, ministry right, resident. Okay, cool, yeah. Jazzy M. Um, so I got that thing, and like it's still like still to this day one of my favorite CDs. I've still got it. It's got but a picture you, of the You only picked it up because you because we were down south, and um, it, um, and um, and basically even now I remade the first track of the CD. Um, was called something special, which was like a, I think he'd probably remade it from an old garage record, mm-hmm. and I remade it not that many years ago and released it on like um, mix, uh, mix Smash Deep or something. But yeah, just just like. Um, but just like, um, like just that, that, that memory of having cover CDs and it just, it just, it's just something that else that, cause we talk about loads of stuff going back on all these different podcasts. We talk about how you get into being a DJ, the way that you get your music, like record shops, yeah. digital things, but just that memory. And I love the thing you said as well, cause my mum would get the, 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 she would give me cause she knew I was a DJ. She would collect me the CDs off like the, the daily mail. And it would all be exactly. hardly used, any use to me. It'd be one song though. <laughs> It'd be one song. It's like I've just I've just picked up a crate of um, of CDs from like one of the record shops, and uh, they there was like I can't remember what magazine it was. Now it was like Marie Claire magazine or something like that. Had a free had, and it was like three or four free CDs in there from there. And like most of it was rubbish, but then there'd be like one, but like you know, it'd be like Bill Withers of the day or something like yeah. that, which like you know, everyone's got a copy of. But yeah. like if you were just starting out, that that could be your introduction to that song. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, Anyway, sorry, I, I totally interrupted you there. You just <laughs> made up that point, and it's one of those things that I just don't even consider anymore. That you would go out and get a, a, a magazine, and it'd have a, you know, and even like the even the mix mag, you would check the CD track list. Of course, that was the, that. I mean, that was the thing. You'd you would happily pay what, say, in like ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight. You'd happily pay five pound for a, yeah, a magazine because I had a good CD. It came in a CD. So anyway, so you on your caravan holiday, yeah. got your queue cover CD yeah same sort of time that Dangerous may have been available in libraries to to listen to yes. cool and so and like so then was was it was there a particular person in your family or, or, or friends but was it like was it your mum and dad your brother your sister I, I don't know your family history like was there a particular person who was always playing music always had it on like always um, not, not massively um, probably me, me dad plays a bit of guitar does a bit of singing me mum and dad like although at the time was mainly full time work like they're in I'm amateur dramatics and all sorts of productions now. So yeah. I suppose I've always had that um 
that that blood running through my veins. Um, but like just going <laughs> going back to dangerous. God, this is embarrassing. Um, one I did I, I won like a disco dancing competition or something nice. when I was probably about nine, eight or nine, maybe nice. maybe ten. I don't know. Uh, dancing a jam um, off that Michael Jackson album nice. on cassette, and I remember having to give it to, <laughs> give our snide yes. copy of the cassette to the guy. To dance to, and that was produced by Teddy Riley and the rap on a Teddy D. But I didn't know that at the time. Wow. But like, yeah, it's it's weird now. You look back and you're like, all oh, right, so I like that then, and I still like that now. It's the the through line of yeah, the, the through line of everything. Yeah, nice. So then, then can you remember? And this is different now again because mm. you know we're a similar age and stuff. Can you remember the first twenty seven? Yes. <laughs> can you remember the first <laughs> bit of music? Because I can't really ask this to, 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 to like some of the younger people that I've, 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 I've talked to, but. Can you remember the first bit of music that you felt like was yours? Like whether you bought it, whether it was given to you, but it wasn't your mum and dad's. It wasn't like, even if it was, you know, that, that, yeah. that, that, that Michael Jackson. But what was the first thing that you just felt like was yours and you owned it? Funnily enough, like thinking back, it actually probably predates those, okay. it predates those CDs and cassettes and stuff. But it because it was a record and obviously I was younger than that, I didn't really have the sort of access to go and... The, the, I wasn't really allowed to go and touch the record player because record players are expensive and yeah, vinyl's expensive. the needles and yeah. Exactly. So it was actually a copy of um, Rhythm Nation by Janet Jackson. Wow. Um, and I remember we had... I, mean, I can't remember if my dad won it or he'd got like a, a, a record voucher, but it was for the, the record bit in Benton Hypermarket, which is now a, a massive Asda. And yeah, I bought it in there. I remember buying that, and I remember like black cat off there. I don't particularly know why, but yeah, that's... it's just it's something that like I, 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 that was I, mine. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was my yeah, record. I, I always, you know, it pains to point this out. Like I, I'm not one of those people that goes, "Oh, it was better back in the day." I'm, oh. I'm not like I like I'm all about progression and, and new things. Oh, completely. But I do I do think that um, it's a shame that that some children or some people now don't ever have that feeling of actually like buying something and owning yeah. something and, and even like shout out to Stephen Cooper who had done a, a podcast with he took his um it's remember you know in the podcast he talks about taking his daughter to HMV and buying her a record player and yeah. buying her some records yeah she was just like this is amazing it's amazing like yeah. I own it I touch it I feel it I put it yeah. on and like it's so- not just on YouTube yeah it's not just yeah instantly available yeah. which is great by the it's way it's great yeah but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's it there's something different to it so then again where we go with this then I think sometimes is like what when was the first time that you became aware that somebody, anybody could be and was and is a DJ? Like, did you, was it because you knew that they were on the radio playing records? Was, did you go to a gig and see them play? Did your friend have DJ equipment? Like, just because it's, there is a big connection, disconnect between just knowing that there's music, mm-hmm. then knowing that there's somebody who's job or yeah. is to mix it and to play it and like so when did you first become aware of any kind of person who was a DJ um, I'm not really 100% sure I remember my first sort of thing I can remember actually taping a mix off the radio was okay. um, Daft Punk's Central Mix 1997 which is still one of no, I stayed up I, I mean no one will remember those guys you might, we might yeah, need to no. <laughs> a bit obscure yeah. um, but that mix man like it, it, listening back with now there's parts of it which are quite like there's parts of it which sound now quite sloppy but that's because we live in a time where literally everything is bang on perfect yeah and like that mix man honestly there's some some songs in there it's just absolutely crazy like I can't remember who was in it now DJ Dion like Roy Davis Jr. again it's that year uh, but that would have that if that was 1997, then I probably would have been starting to be aware of the like central mix and stuff. So probably like yeah. Pete Tongs, you judge Jules, is yeah. that sort of thing, which is weird because 
it wasn't necessarily the music I was really into, no. but they were the, the like you know when you're like fourteen, fifteen, they were the they were the the guys, they were the the big name DJs in the country. Yeah, know? they used to be. I mean, I remember that again. You know, they they again. I mean, I would sort of go along with you really. I mean, it was never. I was never really a big room trance kind of like. But you just yeah. knew of Judge Jules. You knew of Judge Jules. Yeah. It was Radio One. They were the gatekeepers yeah. in a way that in a way that with all respect, Danny Howard isn't today. Do you yeah. know what I mean, and that's I've just picked on Danny there, but you know, like Annie or whoever, like any of those exactly. Radio One guys. If you had a record on, if you got a record yeah. on Judge Jules or Pete Tong, that was like, yeah, and it was they, amazing. They, they are still hugely influential, and I don't take anything away from them. But in the way that, bef- like again, predating that digital media and stuff, yeah, those radio there one DJs, no, there was no podcasts, yeah. there was no like the the, the the availability of music and availability of DJ mixtapes was minimal. You couldn't even listen to it again. Like it was like at that time, exactly. it was like it unless was you on, taped it off the radio, yeah, unless you taped it from the radio, it was either on or it, you know, or you, mm. but then and that was it. Um, okay, so I mean, we're gonna we're gonna like. When, because I think you mentioned like, so what sort of music did you find yourself, you know, in those sort of like influential sort of like, you know, I don't know, I guess I'm picking an age here, but like 15, 16, 17, like, yeah. you know, you're starting to get into music, you're starting to pick your own stuff, you're starting to go out, you're starting to have more friends, who yeah, are, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. and what, where were you, what were you finding you were listening to at, at that age? I've always been relatively eclectic, to be honest. Yeah. Um, at that point, I was still in, I was like singing with bands. Um, we, <laughs> we were doing covers of everything from like, uh, Blackstreet to Red Hot Chili Peppers, like and Rappers Delight, Nirvana. So it was still pretty eclectic. So what sort of bands were they in? Like, so was that was that a band that you sort of formed? Were you the singer in it? I was a singer. Like, okay, um, I was a singer in the band. Um, funnily enough, it's Ben Irvin. He was he was the bass player. Yeah, who runs a very successful um, yeah. wedding DJ. Yeah. Um, company. Now. Shout out to Brian Groove. Yeah, exactly. If you're in the northeast, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Slightly niche. Um, but yeah, so we've known each other what 20, 25 years, cool, which is mad. Um, but yeah, I was singing in bands then and I listened to an awful lot of different music. But I found myself listening to more sort of, I suppose, like jiggy hip-hop stuff, essentially, like okay. mid to late 90s. Um, but my friend who had the DJing equipment, he wasn't in hip-hop at all. So we would make potentially the worst mixtapes ever heard ever on in history of mixing trance breakdown to breakdown because we didn't know how to beat much on a pair of lovely belt drive. Yeah. But in terms of the radio, yeah, your Pete Tongs, Judge Jules's. When I was starting to go out, um, used to go everywhere, man. It's where you could get in, I suppose, at that age. But we used to go rock shots. The back room at rock shots was smooth. Yeah. Um, lots of hip hop. Um, the front room at the same night was indie. Um, that was bulletproof. Yeah. Um, I used to go to Legends, which was house and dance, not yeah. trance, in the main room and uh, R and B. And swing, as it was known back then, in the downstairs. Swing. Exactly, not big band swing like US imported R and B stuff. Yeah. Um, not even that's not even getting mixed up with electro swing. Exactly, that's, a- that's, that's <laughs> something else altogether. <laughs> Jesus, that's you know. So you've and, and I know it. We'll, we'll come on to this later as mm-hmm. we move through this. But like, so it's always dovetailed really the DJing into the sort of live performance in the bands. But obviously, the bands, bit, yeah. but the bands obviously came first. Like you singing and being in a band yeah. was first. And then, obviously, like you say, you sort of your pal had the the old school belt drive DJ yeah, setup. Yeah, that was my best mate. So we, I mean, st- still still not about with each other today. Um, but we used to spend all our time in like your, your, your flying records and your downstairs in HMV. Yeah, and, do you know what I mean? Like it was it was mainly house and trance because that was essentially what was what available was, what, up here. Yeah. Um, could you where could you could you buy like? 
you know, R&B swing. Could you buy that stuff on vinyl in the Northeast around that time? Like, because um, HMV, Woolworths, were they selling stuff like that? Or if like- it was a commercial release, then yes, possibly, but they didn't have anywhere near as much stock in as what, you know, and you'd go in and you'd have like 10 copies of a white label of something. That and was what was the, because I, I didn't grow up around here, what was like the record shop, not Fly, and what was the sort of like, the, was there a second-hand record shop or was there kind of like places that you could pick stuff up? Or was it- there, there was, there was there was volume, um, it was RPM I used to spend quite That's a bit right. of time in, um, Steel Wheels was the, the second hand one That's which right. then um, the location changed and it beat down shout out to Nick yeah um, yeah they, they, they were the sort of places but to be honest the best place for picking up your sort of R&B promos garage promos all that sort of stuff was actually in flying okay. because they were getting it they, anyway. they, they got it sent Same anyway and they company. didn't they didn't like it so for me it was great <laughs> because yeah. if I if I was like oh man I need to get this and I was trying to find it like either in the Back of a, like, yeah. I don't know, M8 magazine or whatever, and it was like ten ninety nine on import. I go into flying, they were like, "Oh yeah, it's in the pound bin. Like, it's out. Yeah, in, it's it was, out in eight weeks. It it's the in the same, pound bin. It's it great." Same, like when I opened my my record shop, um, seven, seven, eight years ago, when I got my first delivery from Amato, it was like a, de- a, a vinyl distribution company. It had a copy of. Uh, my record shop was, you know, house and, and, and trance and hard house and bits and bobs. It was all dance music in that sense. And it had a copy of, uh, two copies of Where Is The Love, Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. It, it was on promo. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. Um, and obviously I just took it out. They didn't sell. I think I've still got one downstairs. Because it, <laughs> it's probably still in the cellophane because yeah, yeah. it just never sold. Yeah. So it's just people aren't coming in to your look, shop looking for looking that. Looking for that stuff. So when did, so you sort of, you're in bands, you're obviously performing in bands. When did the DJ, when did you sort of either get the DJ bug or when did you start to think, did that, did it go concurrently or did you sort of switch from one to the other? Because I know you've, we'll get onto it, I know you've recently yeah. switched back to doing more of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But um, how did it go? Were you doing both at the same time for a while or did you kind of think, I don't want to be a singer anymore, I want to be a DJ or like... It's always sort of been, it's always sort of been both really. It was, right. I suppose it was sort of switching between the two, like when... Most of the lads in the in the band were in the Ebola, so then it was a split site school, so it was quite hard to keep keep the the, the band up past then. But yeah. then, I I suppose like just just from going out and like I was going out quite a lot, considering I was definitely not eighteen, um, going out and meeting other DJs and thinking, oh yeah, I, I, that that guy's really good. I like. Did you ever find playing. yourself like I don't want this to be a loaded question here, but did you ever find yourself when you were out sort of being that guy that was? Oh, just- I was definitely that guy, hundred and ten percent that guy. It was just like looking over the DJ booth, looking yeah. at what people were playing, seeing yeah. what label stuff were on, and like yeah. trying to actually figure out because we were still mixing breakdown trance, like and like I was just about grasping by this point, probably about sixteen, seventeen ish, the ability to beat match, which as you know, playing on a pair of bell drives is is a, near impossible. It's near impossible, <laughs> and if you can do that, then you can do anything in life. <laughs> yeah. Quote. Apart from your first gig when you're playing a set of Technics and you shit yourself. Quote. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to write that down. Um, yeah, we we used to go out and I used to listen to an awful lot of DJs and I realised that, yeah, this is something I quite fancy doing and I was starting to... I'd got the record buying bug anyway. Yeah. So when you started, were you buying records before you had your own turntables? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't have... I'm not going to say I had a massive collection. Really no, but it, me, it felt like... It's hard to explain because it felt like you were collecting something, even if you didn't have the ability to 
I mean, you, I, I imagine yeah. your family had a record player, which, but you'd, even if you didn't have the ability to actually physically play it in your own room, yeah. it was lovely just to have your collection 100% of on. things that were yours. And like, in a way that that, again, it doesn't, you know, it's not like anyone sits there and stares at the iTunes screen going, oh, look, oh, look at that, isn't ooh, it? Oh, yeah. Beautiful. You know what I mean? Whereas like, I, you know, I have framed records downstairs yeah. and I have, you know, and but as a kid, I would have my shelf with my, my 10 favourite things that I'd been able to buy. And exactly. And, and you had it all, you, you had yeah. it sorted in in order that you wanted to be yeah. being. Do you know what I mean? I was just, I was just same man like but I remember even like by the time I probably got my, my first gigs and that you're probably talking I've probably been DJing a few few years by this point I probably still only had a, f- a few hundred records oh, that yeah. I could potentially play out well, we talk about, because it was yeah. so bloody expensive yeah well we talk about that I mean there's, there's several things A that the expense of it B the fact that I mean when I one of the um, first gigs that I was doing over here with vinyl was Tokyo mm. and I used to have to sit and I was explaining this to people like I have to sit for maybe an hour before I went yeah. to pick out the, the collection that I could take with me out of my collection, yeah. which was, you know, probably only like a third or whatever of, yeah. of, of my entire record. But I couldn't take my entire collection it's with impossible. me because of their weight and everything else. Yeah. And I walk in with two bags, like two vinyl you bags. your spine. That's why you couldn't do. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, it's another one of those mad things. So tell me about like getting your first decks and stuff like the decision the thought process around it like who had you been watching or what was the kind of I ended up just getting the same set as my best mate yeah obviously because that's what you do I mean yeah. that was shout you've been working on them at- exactly um, shout out Aitken Brothers on Highbridge Street which is long gone yeah but uh, yeah it was a Sound Lab DLP 12s I think nice uh, with like five does Sound Lab still exist I don't know I actually genuinely don't know I we were me and my best mate were talking about this the other day because uh, I, I, I can't remember how we got on it but I actually googled the mixer that we got in the package yeah there's like one photo of it online because yeah, I, <laughs> I googled this the other day like I had a blue dog I don't know if it was a Sound Lab but I had a little yes, blue dog yeah, mixer yeah 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 was it a cam it might that's a cam. right yeah, yeah cam yeah. blue dog and I was told to mate about it and again I was trying to find it and it just doesn't exist doesn't it <laughs> Not on the internet. Well, what's not on the internet? Exactly. But that's, it's that weird phase of like the late 90s and then people going, ah. There's no digital photos of it. No, there's no not, digital there's nothing photos of it. At all. Like, I think there's one extremely blurry photo of my Cam KMX 100, which was, you know, it was, it's a, it was a tiny mixer. But, it, it you know, it, it did the job. So you still, when you first got your decks, are you still kind of, Buying trance, or have you sort of moved away? Or I was are you buying still... all sorts, mate. So just literally anything and everything that's going. Just buying, buying... Uh, oh. yeah, anything and everything, man. If I like the song, I'd, I'd get it, and I suppose that's now reflected in like my yeah. general sets now. Yeah, um, I think I found that. I mean, like for years, like I mean, I, I loved like my one of the, the big things I used to love was, was going to a, a, a record shop in a different city. Oh, it's great, and, and like that was like Oof. almost my like reason for going to that other city. Like, oh yeah, hundred percent. And, and my clubbing, like life was we would pick a city like we'd look at a lineup we'd pick a city we'd go to liverpool and then i would be like me and maybe one of the other lads out of a group of seven or eight would go up three beat yeah. you know what i mean and we'd spend like an hour in three beat listening to stuff and you know even to the point where it was like we went to um new york with like an art trip in sixth form yeah and on the bus into like manhattan they were like it's just don't whatever you do don't go to spanish harlem and I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, right. And then, and then what happened was, but I just, all I had written down on this piece of paper from home, because again, I hadn't Googled it. I don't know yeah. how I'd found it, but it was like dance tracks and it was the address of the thing, right? Yeah. So we had like a free afternoon, <laughs> right? And I just got into, got into this yellow cab, gave the guy the address, like this little, like whatever, 19 year old white boy. And he was like, sure, man. And I was like, yeah. So he like took me there, <laughs> dropped me off outside the record shop. I was so excited. I didn't look around. I literally just ran out of the, the, the taxi into the record shop. Um, 
huge like black guy behind the counter. I said, I'm in a soulful US house. And he was like, no problem, man. He's like, just handed me this like massive stack of vinyl, yeah. pointed to some headphones. They got halfway through and I was like, really the toilet. And I was like, is, is, there, a, is there a toilet? And he was like, no, man, you got to go McDonald's up the block. And I left and I've never been so scared in my life. Like <laughs> I was in Spanish Harlem. There was no other white people to be seen. Yeah. It was the most scary experience. I mean, no one was threatening to me in any yeah, way, yeah, shape yeah. or form. I was just petrified because I'd never been in that, yeah, you know, a little white boy from the north of England. And I was in like, you know, the, yeah, it was just insane. Um, and, I, and, then, and then I had to pay a, cut a long story short, I ended up having to pay a fine on the way home because my suitcase was weighing too much because I bought all this like US, so, you know, like on the other. But you still got them, that's the thing. I've got loads of them. But yeah, and, but then it was, that was the thing, man. It was like, you know, you went to a different city and, you know, I, then I didn't grow up in Newcastle, so you came to Shindig and then on a Saturday yeah. afternoon we went to flying and yeah, then yeah. like, you know, we went to like, pla- you know, plastic people in London and you went yeah. to all these different places. Um, and again, it's like, I'm not going, oh, it was better about the day. It's a shame that that's missing because what you used to do, what, and obviously this it all exists. helped build a community. Yeah. And what, obviously you can find some of some stuff on Facebook, man. But what was cool about that was you'd be in Liverpool, you'd see all the local flyers for the other nights. You'd, you'd end up, up, you'd end up meeting a DJ, you'd end up, and this guy would be like, oh, that record, this record, and you end up talking about, oh, you go and see tonight, oh, you go and this, oh, cool, right. We'll meet, well, let's hook up it's later. It's a personal for a relationship, so. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what I think it is a bit of a shame. And, you know, and you were talking about behind all the kind of different, different records and even, and it is possible to do this now, of course. But like, yeah, I'm going to go downstairs and I've got like, I've got Bauer Hell on vinyl. I've got, I've got set, you know, a huge seven inch collection of like Motown and yeah. disco and like, I don't even have, probably know half of it, but I think I used to just buy it because I felt like I needed it and I yeah, felt yeah. like that was my well, education that, and that was like what I should have. I suppose that's half the problem <coughs> we used to have is like, because I mean, for, for probably 10, 12 years, I've played nothing but R&B and hip hop yeah. pretty much because that, 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 that was, that's what I was best known for. Yeah. And it was at the stage where, I mean, I was buying stuff from Uptown, um, a little bit in black market, not so much in black market, but then like I used to live in, I live in Sheffield for three years when I was at uni. I met some great guys down there, but there was a shop called, uh, let me see, was it Reflex? Yeah. Yeah. I Reflex in Sheffield. Yeah, 100%. And um, I used to go up to Leeds because it's a pretty short journey and crash in Leeds because they used to have, they used to have a, like a wicked like selection come in like most weeks. Um, but we had like as R&B and hip hop DJs because of the way the music was, like this is something else that like people don't appreciate now. Everything gets re- generally everything gets released the same day around the world now yeah. just to save which piracy. Did, yeah, which didn't now happen. it didn't happen then. And we, I mean, I, I think I remember buying the promo of Yeah by Usher. So what, two thousand and three, four, um, and that was ten ninety nine. And this is two weeks. <laughs> This is two weeks before it came out when it was going to be three ninety nine, and this is when you know, like that. That's that's quite a lot of money for one song. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then, but that that that's just one example of one song. If you were playing like a few gigs a week in clubs, you were having to spend. I mean, you're spending like upwards of one hundred and fifty pound a week on records, which is something else that like guys yeah. don't really appreciate get now. That if I if you'd waited a couple of weeks, you would have been behind. But you would have been like a hundred pound better off. <laughs> but you would have been behind. Yeah, because you know I mean? Sean made this like amazing point. Like Sean Harrington, who's yeah, like yeah. one of the first podcasts, he was like, so basically, which is this, this is the same for I guess all younger generation people like DJs. But he was like basically, so yeah, I got a laptop, I started getting LimeWire or whatever, I started downloading all this music. Then he was like, then I got a DJ controller and I was a DJ because yeah. I had all my music. Yeah, and I was like. Fuck no, that's not how it used to happen. Yeah, it's what wild. used to happen was you used to buy your DJ equipment and have no music. Yeah. Then spend the next three years buying music. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. And it's, again, it's not a criticism. It's just, 
it's totally the other it's way the around. Opposite, yeah, it's yeah. the opposite way around. And that's yeah. the thing now, I guess, like, and, and you know, and, and all those bitter old DJs will complain about it. But ultimately, anyone who's grown up in the last 20 years just needs to buy a controller See. and they're a DJ yeah. because they've probably got a laptop yeah. and, they, then, and they've got a music catalogue. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that just wasn't the case... We're, we're, we're now we're, we're now almost at the stage where you don't even because people don't really download to as stream, much as yeah, just yeah. streaming. Like I mean, you've got your your record box with like with the title and Spotify yeah. and like and what's you know, the new DJ City one? Uh, Beat Source. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the, all all of those things together is even taking that like middle process of actually actually having some actually music. having yeah. some music out of it, which is mad. It's gonna. I suppose it's gonna come to a point, though, isn't it? And we've gone off topic. I'll bring it back. <laughs> it's all right. But I suppose it's gonna come to a point with. I haven't used. Sorry, what was it called again? The Beat City Beat Pot. Uh, right, beat Source. Beat Source. I, I haven't guess, used it yet. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I haven't. To, to be like, to be honest, I've haven't streamed. I haven't used a streaming service to DJ with. No, I haven't got a bottle yet. And <laughs> I, well, not. I mean, I mean, yeah. I guess. I guess that that as a factor for me. I guess for me. I play so much stuff which is no. edited, remixed, Same. like, you know, bootlegged, whatever, yeah. that I couldn't just play. I mean, I literally couldn't play just off beat part. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would really struggle. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, my, my, my point was going to be, I guess, which is like in the Spotify generation, my, my worry, and I guess this is like the, the old man in me coming out, my worry is that people like sign up to beat, yeah, beat Source. Beat Source. Yeah. And then they just play from playlists and stuff. And that's, mm. I guess, what worries me now. Arguably, I play from playlists that I've created yeah, yeah. and create my own laziness. Yeah. But my worry is that it it, it, it it stops crate digging, as we would call it. it I stops, love crate digging, man. I, I love crate digging. Like, it's one of my it's one of my favourite bits of DJing. And I think that's one one thing that sort of made me into more of an open, open format DJ is... Yeah. Finding like say, a garage record. tune, or yeah, exactly. Finding new old records, <laughs> or even like finding a garage tune or a hip hop tune, and being like, "Ah, oh, that sounds really good. I wonder what that's from." And then going and finding the original song, and it sounds nothing like it apart from one bar, which some genius is. Do you ever use two sample two? Yeah, yeah, I use yeah. it all the time, man. Yeah, it's just Ridiculous. like it's it's so good. Like that 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 process for me is like when there's like I I like I feel like you know that, you know that image of like the the, the monkey like the, the prehistoric. Man, yeah, like yeah. walking. I feel like that. I have that with the point where you're growing up and you and you hear all these like it used to be boy band records, and then you discover that they were it was like an ABBA record, yeah, or it was a Bee Gees record, or whatever. And all so, of them. so then you have this this first recognition that the covers, and you're going, "Hang on a minute, how that motherfucker was tiny? Like they've just really <laughs> yeah. sung this song from the '70s." Then you get to that point where you go, like you know, like Lola Steam is an obvious example. Then you go, oh, "Hang on a minute, that's a sample." Yeah. Then you go and listen to the sampled record, and there's there's those famous, you know, there's all famous ones, but the Daft Punk one, which is like they'll just take a line. Yeah. Or a phrase. Yeah. And you go, motherfucker. Like exactly. <laughs> and you've rebuilt it completely from that one thing. It's amazing. So yes, yeah, so, and, and like and those like I still love getting into like who sampled who like wormholes. And you just start like <laughs> you know what I mean? You just start like tracing this to this. And yeah. then I do that thing that like, you you mentioned before about the guys of dangerous. Then I start going, Well, who was the writer? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then I was like, then you find out that like this guy wrote like something else then you go hang on a minute so who wrote that with Sophia Lispector oh fuck he wrote that and fuck oh, they, he was a singer yeah. from New Radicals but now he writes exactly like, it's you're wild like, <laughs> but that's when you realise like how like how, ama- how amazing the music industry is and how lucky we are actually to be a part of it but like I, I absolutely love that side of it there's a guy, I think there's a guy called was it Ali, Ali Tennant who I had a CD single of his I think it was called Love Letters um, and it was a great record but it never really went anywhere it was like when UK UK like black music essentially was not really a big thing so yeah. UK R&B 
aside from a few songs, never really went anywhere near the stratospheric levels that US did. But yeah. then I found out, I'm pretty sure I might be wrong, I think he wrote Flying Without Wings for Westlife. <laughs> hey. So, like, you know, he it, although he didn't necessarily make it as a as a solo artist like yeah. he he's written some incredible pop records over the years do you yeah. know what i mean like and he's done he's done really well but then he's just in the background yeah, so no, it's like Kate, even katie b now katie b's a, a writer now yeah yeah i think you, you think that a lot don't you about you sort of think people disappeared yeah and you, you track them and you realize that they are not disappeared they at all disappeared, yeah. they're just in the background writing for the people yeah. and all that kind of stuff's like super interesting um i mean i went to see like Feeder on Sunday. Oh, is it any good? Yeah, I mean, I love Feeder, but we went to see Feeder on Sunday, and like we were in the in a bar afterwards, chatting to a few people, and he was this guy's explaining to me that like he'd written actually Buck Rogers for another band, yeah, but then he sort of took it back because because at the time Feeder didn't exist, they were called something, and it's just like you say, just all these intricacies it's of mad. the music industry. I love and, it, man. Like, I absolutely love it. And yeah, it's the nerd in me. Do you know? What yeah, I mean? my mate, like Nathan, shout out to Nathan C. I've done some records with in the past. Like he was one of the writers on Medusa. Oh like, wow, Good boys, and like, but he also has a record out on Tourism under a different pseudonym, and he's just posted today that he's just been signed as an artist deal with Virginia. I and it's like you just don't realize that these tentacles, yeah, all, all reach out. I mean, and we'll discover even more about us about, oh, I know that guy or our DJ there or that club. Or, exactly. And it's like, it's God's man. Right, so let's get back on track. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, no, don't be daft. I love it, man. So, so, um, so I'm interested in just trying to distill down, like, you've you've got some 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 belt drives. Yeah. You're just buying kind of everything and anything that you can get your hands on. It started, I suppose I then started to focus a bit more on what I was going out to. Okay. And I, I, I mean, one of the first, I think it was the first mixtape I ever handed out to any, any other DJs was um it was a garage mixtape and okay. it was pretty much with the 30 garage records that I've managed to get my hands on in Newcastle because it never really worked up here before which people don't understand and let's just reminisce for a second about the beauty of making a mixtape oh jesus <laughs> you know what on, it is man. on vinyl it the wasn't, stress it, yeah it wasn't a beautiful thing it was a stress because <laughs> you'd be like right I've got 90 minutes to fill you 87 minutes in Oh, for Christ's sake, man, stop skipping, right? I'm going to have to start you got, again. You've got 87 minutes. I got three minutes in. Fuck the first mix-up. was like, fuck! <laughs> but that, 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 that's oh. okay. If you if you fuck the first mix-up, oh, you man. can kind of go... Yeah, it's mixed. It's fucking the last Right, okay, that's, yeah. that's, that's fine. It's when you're 17 mixes into it and you go... Oh. Fuck, I've absolutely clanged that I used that to have, like... I mean, I used to have, like... I'm definitely, like, on the spectrum of, like, autism and all that. I used to have, like, a bit of paper written out. Yeah. I'd have, like, the order of the... The times, I'd roughly. I'd have, I'd have roughly the times. Yeah, similar. I'd, you know, I'd have, like, roughly BPMs written yeah. out because I'd have gone through this and practiced this, yeah. like, you know, like, for days, like, days on, on, on end, like, I'd have practiced yeah. it. Then I'd be like, right, I've got it set up. I've got my, like, whatever I was recording it onto, my tape deck on my mini disc player. And mini then, disc like, player, yeah, oh man! And, and then you it, shout out mini disc. disc, but mini disc worked. It was great for, it re- for recording DJ sets. Yeah. Were the best because you went straight out the back of the mixer e- and just record onto mini disc. Even until relatively great. recently, I remember um, Manpower. Jeff asked, I say relatively recently. You're probably still talking a fair few years ago now, yeah. but like long after the like yeah. long after <laughs> mini discs <laughs> yeah. have gone, long, long, long after that, and him still saying it was a good. It's a good format. It was because it was great. It was all because it was small. It was portable. Yeah. you just literally plugged it into the, the record out or something, the yeah. master out, and then just. Record, and it was great, and was you great. could and you could track mark it as well. Yeah. I think, yeah, you could, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Love that. It was great. Um, so sorry, <sighs> but I just yeah, I, in, in one, it's one of those things, isn't it? There's a bit of me now going, oh, I miss it. But if you, if if I set my decks up like like tonight and when I'm going to make a mix and ah, oh, I'd instantly hate it because 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 <laughs> be, because being in a club like this is something else. I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast before, 
being in a club sounds different to being in your bedroom. Oh, it does massively. Like, of course it does. The big, the reverberation helps. Like the people help. Like the sound of the kick drum helps. Everything. You, and then, and the fact that there's like the adrenaline of you actually performing. Yeah. There's people in front of you. It's like the people you, in front of you. And even if you do fuck it up, you just got to keep going. Exactly. Like you've got to style it out. You've got to get that mix back in. Like whatever. Downstairs in your bedroom, it's just, or wherever, like it's horrible. It becomes, it almost <laughs> it's becomes so a sterile. It, yeah, <laughs> it's it's sterile. Yeah, it becomes a bit of a slog because like it, it, you've got you've got nothing to vibe off. You've got nothing to, to bounce off. Like yeah. at least if like you say if you drop something new or something that people might not have heard for a while when you're in a club and everyone's like, oh, it's amazing. Yeah, you do that in the if if you're doing that at home and you've already practiced that mix like 17 times, you're just like. Oh, it's that song again. Uh, I hope we don't cock up the next mix. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry, sorry to interject there. Just when you mentioned mixtape, I was like, we've got to talk about that. So you'd made a mixtape. I made a mixtape. Garage mixtape. Yeah, and I remember having it the way and Are we talking like, so give me some give me some examples of the tracks that might have been on that mixtape, like garage-wise. Are we talking like... Um, no, we're talking, UK, we're talking UK, we're not talking US. Okay, so we're talking like... Are we talking like, um, sweet, like talking chocolate? Like, are we talking like... Are we talking... Roundabout that time. stuff? Are we talking... A bit, like you say, man, it sort of... <laughs> it, it, wildly, it sort of depended on um, what <laughs> what was in Flying Records bins as yeah. much as anything else. Yeah. You couldn't get your what hands Scott on it. Scott and Scooby didn't want. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> thanks, Scott and Scooby. <laughs> Give me a career with the, with the stuff you didn't like, which is great. Um, but like stuff like... Oh, what was it now? It was a Chris Mack song on Confetti Records. Um, um, that I can't remember, probably about 97, 98. And then, like, because it took that long to build up a collection of that sort of stuff, I mean, this mix, it was probably 99-ish, so it would have been 16. Um, yeah, Groove Chronicles. Um, can't remember much else that was on it, to be honest. I just remember giving a 90-minute, it wasn't even a TDK cassette, it was, like, some... Like you know, some bargain bin cassette to win. Wasn't even TDK. I remember giving that giving that to Wayne and giving that. So was that like? Did you do the proper old school? Like, was was Wayne DJing at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you went up and you were just like dropping yeah, full that. on, full on Kevin and Perry shit, man. Do you know what I mean? And did you, like, know, did, you, did you have me? any previous like relationship with Wayne or like just like? No, just from clubbing. Just, that was it. But you just, like, just said hello. It wasn't like you were pals or anything. It wasn't no, like I wouldn't go as far as pals, but like we'd met a few times okay. before. But that was so because he DJ'd in the place that I tried to go to as frequently as possible because I like what he played. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, like... And what was, what was that at the time? Was that, that was all R&B. Yeah, no, stuff. what was club was it? Just that was Legends Downstairs. Right, okay, cool. Yeah, Thursday night in Legends Downstairs. Amazing. Couldn't afford the Saturday. It's too expensive. Amazing. And then, so, what did you do? Did you write your phone number on it? Yeah, like, yeah. But, like, um, but a landline? Like your home phone? Nah. What, do you know what it is, right? <laughs> I think, right? It, just wasn't got, even, it wasn't even my phone number. You know what it is? It was a pager number. That's... <laughs> That's crazy. So gangster. No, I might, in might, 99, yeah, I didn't have got my first phone until I was 17. That's crazy when you think about it now. My eight year old's asking for a phone now, and I'm just like, oh man. Uh, um, yeah. Did anything come of it? Like, or did, like, did, was it just. Wayne still remembers that now, man. Okay. So, yeah, I'm just like, Wayne's But did you get a gig from it, or did, like, did it, was it just like, like, thanks? Was it like, did, what was, did, was that something that. Yeah, like, I suppose I kind of did off the back of that. Like, okay. a few months later, like, I ended up, um, my first, <laughs> first ever gig. Um, like properly in the nightclub, we'd put a couple of bits on in in six form. Yeah, um, I was going to say you must have done some like house done parties. Some, or, like, yeah, done, done, bits done some stuff. like done some like small <laughs> bits. My first proper proper gig. Um, I got a phone call to say, "Can you do um Legends Basement on New Year's Eve?" What exactly? And this is when like it doesn't sound really like much now because like it does, mate. Like, <laughs> but like it was eleven or one on New Year's Eve, and I was just That's there. Was my first ever gig. It was absolutely crapping myself. That's Cause like 
what what you've got to remember is like I didn't I'd only ever played off Technics a few times. So like it's like I can't you can't describe it now like going from belt drive to Technics. You just think it's just you know it's it's dead easy, but it really wasn't. It would be like going from I don't know playing football to playing tennis. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a com- it was a completely different skill set. Yeah, and. Yeah, I was really nervous. And, it's even, and I ended up not doing a countdown. I remember doing that. But, you know, fuck it. But it's even, you live and you learn. It's even like, I, I would, you know, coming back to that bedroom mix thing, like, it's even different. Even if you've got, for me anyway, and other people might disagree, even if you've got the exact same setup, even if you've got same mixer, same turntable, same CDJ, same mixer, whatever. Yeah. I, I, mean, I don't know. I've never done it with a controller, but I'm sketching it's probably the same. It's still different doing it. Oh, it's, it's miles different. It, sa- it. it sounds different. It feels different. The temperature's different. The vibrations are different. You the know, pressure's like, different. Yeah, the pressure, people looking at you, people bumping into you, people coming in with drinks. Like, There's so just, much shit can go wrong. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah <laughs> it's just it's just different. So so not only have you got a different setup yeah. which to contend with, yeah. like you've then got to contend with all the other... And New Year's Eve, mate. It wasn't even just like you were... Like, most of the people on this on this podcast have been like, yeah, I got this gig in this like really shitty dead bar. I was playing like six hours a night. I it just got was- to learn. Terrifying. Yeah, I just got to you walking at an hour to midnight. And bear in mind, we're not talking like these days where, like, you know, we're talking like when that was just like clubbing was the thing, man. Like, yeah, do you know what I mean? And, and New Year's Eve was also it was the night, the thing. Like, oh shit, myself, man. Like, I'm not even joking. <laughs> like, what's the thing? Well, I was that was that was two two thousand into two thousand and one. That would have been, and I'd I'd been I've been playing house parties and like we put on a we put on a couple of like un- underagey sort of nights, but I only literally just turned eighteen. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was. Who's? Can you remember who like called you? Who asked you? Who? Was I think it? it was something. To, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, it was probably something to do with Wayne and Jay um, okay. Rockwell because yeah. I'd I'd given both of them and been bumping at them, giving them tapes. Yeah, like, giving them tapes. That general you know, DJ pester thing. Yeah, like, pretty much just being a, a pest in the most polite and respectful manner. But yeah, yeah completely. That was, that's that was the way it used to work, man. The, and, the good thing about back then, for like people forget, like with a because R and B and hip hop is just an absolute global mega force now. Back then, it was backroom music. Yeah. Like, every single, like, you know, your, your Icon and Diva and your Liquid and Envy. Was, every backroom yeah. was R&B and every main room was all dance music. Yeah. Or they'd have a cheese night on. Yeah, or it'd be a completely open genre. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it, yeah it, would be, it would be either pop or house. You'd never yeah. have R&B in the main room. And that's, yeah. that, 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 that didn't really happen until a few years later. Yeah. Um. So, to be a sort of... Although I was playing a lot of garage because I couldn't get my hands on a lot of it, and I realised I was going out to a lot of R and B and hip hop, I was buying also quite a lot of R and B and hip hop, so I was building up that record collection as yeah. well. Um, I was still bizarrely a sort of specialist DJ because I was one of the few DJs in Newcastle who actually was like not only could mix R and B and hip hop because it's a, it was a different skill set to mix in house. Yeah, um, I had the record collection to to do it from like the previous sort of two years, 18 months of actually buying records as well. So that stood me in good stead to for, for them to actually be able to ring me and say, oh, look, or to even recommend me to management and say, oh, look, yeah. like he he can potentially come in and play for a couple of hours and he's not going to completely cock it up. And also, it's like, be right. for, for the record, like mixtapes meant something then. Oh, yeah, like, 100%. Because, because, because ultimately, like, I mean, obviously you could have got someone else to make it for you, but no one ever thought that no, was the no, case. No, no, didn't. But like what I mean is, is like... And it would have cost you a shitload of money as <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah. Ultimately, like... Within reason, of a, a, a probably a nine-year-old 
could go on Ableton and knock out a, yeah. a very decent 90-minute mixtape these days, yeah. which is why now no one asks for a, a mixtape from yeah. me because it's completely null and void. But, you know, mm-hmm. I remember making, you know, it doesn't happen anymore. Like, I would have done that. I would have made a mixed CD or a mixtape. Yeah. I would have taken that CD to bars and nightclubs and DJs. I had a CD and they would record have, it. And they would have listened to it yeah. because if it, it sounded anywhere near decent, they knew you could actually DJ. Exactly. You could turn up and you do yeah. the job. Yeah. And whereas that's just not the case now. Like, you know, realistically, I would, I had this argument from the week. I was just like, I mean, I would expect anyone with a controller to be passable. Yeah, these days, like, like ultimately, I would expect anyone with a with a controller. It's no disrespect to controllers. What I mean is, if you start I with a controller, yeah, no, I do. What I mean is, if you just start with a controller now, I would expect to be able to put you in any bar and you be and you be fine. Yeah, I don't mean great. I just mean passable. Yeah, passable yeah. Whereas if you'd have put anyone with a set of twelve tens in a bar, Jesus <laughs> it would have been painful and uncomfortable for people to listen. This to is the, this is the thing, right? People all people will always sort of say, oh. You shit, DJ. But you, you know what I mean. You'll have, you'll have, always have that feedback from customers. But I tell you what, like most people, this is a, this is something I just think anyway. Most people don't really notice a good DJ. Yeah. But everyone notices a shit DJ. Yeah. Like if it's a really, really bad DJ. Great point. Like, like everybody in that venue will notice that they are terrible. Well, it's because it's because because that is inherently built into our minds and our ears. So if beats are clashing, if vocals are clashing. I mean, even, I mean, okay, keys might not get everyone, but ultimately, keys don't be but, but, me, but if yeah. you were clashing keys on every mix with beats and vocals and everything, yeah. literally the, the bar full of people are going to just... It's it, jarring. It just, yeah, it just yeah. does that thing where you put your head to your, and, and you go, oh God, what is that? Yeah. Like, whereas, like you rightly point out, you know, you're, well, come on, you know, your, your skill set in a bit, you're a very talented DJ, but no, you're not going to, not always are going to turn ahead of uh, the same, on the same level to go, wow, he's amazing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas the, that other terrible guy who's clashing beats and, and the art people are going to go, what the fuck, fuck is going on? Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's a good, really good point, man. It's kind of, kind of in with that point I was trying to make, which is back in the day, you really had to, of putting the time that's what I'm saying to be passable yeah. whereas now I think probably I mean I, I would always argue that I could take most people and within a couple hours get them passable on a controller yeah. because we, because of um, beat sync because of various bits of technology that we have yeah. that's not knocking it I use, that, I use that technology I love it but it's a much easier place to get to get into because the, the it's less of a lead-in time. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Which, which to be fair, great. It opens it up to more people. The more talented people, the better. Some people get into DJing, then get into you know being a mix artist, getting into a writer, being a vocalist. I'm, so, all, I'm all for that. I was going to ask you. Um, well, no, let me ask you something else because I was going to say, did the, did then? Well, firstly, how did the New Year's Eve gig go in your pop- memory? It, yeah, it was amazing in my memory. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, it was it, it was pretty good. I don't think I particularly cocked anything up, as far as I remember, apart from not doing a countdown. But that's because you know I was I, I, a I was really nervous. B I take nobody. You, you weren't the main room, right? No, I was so in. You can I was, get away with that, I was in the. I was yeah. in the downstairs. Was in downstairs. I remember one person having a go at us for not doing the not doing the countdown. But I was just like, look, man. Like <laughs> I didn't explain that it was my first <laughs> ever gig. But I just remember thinking, I, I I can't even remember what I did to be honest, man. I do remember one person having a go at me for that though, which I felt a bit shit about. But, um, yeah, I think it went. I think it went all right. And to be honest, like then, I don't know. Probably six months a year later, I ended up getting a, do, doing a Monday night in there cool. for a while. Yeah, it was you know it was. So it wasn't the next week or anything. But nah, like, nah. But it was that it's that that it's that that thing of like building relationships and, and yeah. put foot like putting a, exactly putting getting a foot in the door with with places. Did you get the bug though? After like obviously you were. Oh yeah. I was gonna say because obviously you were doing parties. You were on that trajectory anyway. But like. 
that time playing the club, you know, it is a big set midnight and everything else. Were you then, did you walk out there just going, holy fuck, I need to do this? Yeah, pretty much, again, man. Yeah, I need to do that, possible. Yeah, 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 100%. And did, so I know you mentioned that, you know, you got a Monday after a while. Were you getting, did you, before that Monday came about, did you do any of the bars, clubs, were you starting to like... Can't really remember if I'm <coughs> honest. It's like, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm only 27, but my... my... <laughs> <laughs> He's laughing because it's true. Um, the, I can't really remember. Um I think what's what's different, and well, correct me if I'm I'm misremembering this. In my memory, like at that time when 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 I was sort of going out and trying to get into DJing, places had like just fucking established resident DJs. Yeah, pretty much. Like, and there wasn't these as many of these little like nights that people put on with guests and like because every fucking night or what how it worked was Friday. Maybe even Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but Friday, Saturday night was just rammed. Yeah, Friday, like, Saturday night was crazy. Every club yeah. or bar in town, you know, in that in town, yeah, yeah. in in the UK anyway, because yeah. clubbing was the thing, going out was the thing. Yeah, like that was it. So it was like now a lot more clubs need to fill, a lot more nights. So it was a lot more of like these little like, which is great, like little promoters, little friends getting together, getting free hire, paying three hundred quid, yeah, exactly. putting guest slots on. I don't remember that happening as much at that time. It felt like there was the big nights had guests, but other like bars and clubs that we would have tried to get our first gigs in, mm-hmm. they just had established resident DJ, yeah, and that was just it. What what I would have <coughs> pretty much the same memory. I remember nights like um, like Nice that yeah. Skevin that used to put on. Um, I remember even the the people that they used to have doing their sort of warm ups and that. I remember they would then be the established residents at places in town, if you yeah. know what I mean. So it was, it, yeah. it, I'm, not, I'm not saying it was a closed circle. Oh, it, 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 DJing but, is a closed circle. I still think it's it's not easy. I, don't, I still don't think D, DJing is easy to get into. I still think it's a long game. I still think it's... It's weird, isn't it? Because yeah. the, 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 the technical side of it is miles easier to get yeah. into. But I, yeah, I agree with you, man. The sort of, the, the, the social side of it and almost the, the sort of, you know, business side of it of yeah. like, I'm going to be a DJ and I'm, like, I'm actually going to try and make a living off doing this is yeah. actually... Still pretty that's, hard. That's I suppose where I was getting to, and I don't want it to sound that to sound that negative. If you're, you know, 17, 18, 19, listen, listen, want to become a DJ, it is easy. Yeah. You basically you get some music, you get some social presence, you get some gigs, and the, I've given this advice a hundred times on this podcast. Just go find somewhere, go and get a gig for free, go yeah. and find somewhere that hasn't got a DJ on, go to your favourite bar, ask if you want a Tuesday night, do you know what I mean? Say I'll do it for nothing. It, it's doable. Yeah. What I'm saying is that long game of achieving like those big residencies, of getting those gigs, of touring, of earning like enough money to pay your, your bills and your mortgage, that's a long game. That's a long in, game. In, yeah, in yeah. many, in many respects, if you're a very talented producer, but let's not go down that road. Yeah. but like as a, as a no I mean, but as a as gigging DJs as which we've both been for a long time to get those really good shows that you know and to have that respect from promoters club owners venue managers yeah. like, that just takes a long time it does it takes a long time it does it does it does like, so I was going to ask you then um, like technically you are a very good DJ and you and to break it down you would be no, but, I would, but I would also say you would be like a scratch DJ, right? So in the house world, oh no, okay, you can, you can, I can scratch, you can scratch. I'm not, I would, it's, I'm, it's I'm so, not saying you sort of bridge the gap. I'm not saying you're Cuba, mm. but my point being, with all respect, is you can do something that, and this podcast is mainly listened to by house DJs, yeah, yeah. probably. Not many house DJs would even attempt to scratch. Like, mm. I mean, you might scratch the, the vinyl in, but not these days. But my only question was going to be, like, I have friends, Ollie P and stuff who, who, who do it and other friends. But, like, my question was, was at what point did you decide you wanted to even learn that? Who had you seen doing it? Did you become more 
exposed to like the US like DJs. Yeah, yeah I suppose I did really. Um, I can't remember what year the film came out. No, was, in two thousand and two. Would Wayne like? Would Wayne like? So when Wayne would do Wayne, Wayne would do a bit of scratching, and okay. I always thought, wow, yeah, that's pretty cool. Because um, it fucking and, is, man. And, yeah, exactly. It is. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, you can do that, right? Okay. And then Jay would be the same as well. Like, right, okay. the, like the that the the difference in music, the R and B and hip hop stuff, has always had a little bit more element of that. Like, yeah. even if it's just totally basic, and yeah. then bringing a song in, yeah. because the the sort of structure of the songs, um, it's completely different house music. Yeah. So, um, I remember watching uh, what film was it? Now it would have been Scratch. The okay. documentary, yeah, and just thinking, wow, I need to learn how to do that. Obviously, I failed miserably in learning how to do most of the things on there. But in terms of like being able to sort of like scratch out rhythm and do the odd little beat juggle and stuff like that, yeah, but I just basically pick that up from essentially from practicing. Yeah, so like, and you have to do that on techniques, right? You can't do that on, on belt. Jesus drives, Christ, you can't do that on belt drives. <laughs> God, God, you can't do that on belt drives. God. Oh man, it's it's hard enough to actually touch the vinyl on belt drive without it going. Boom, 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 boom. At, what, at, what, at what point then? So like, at what point in in like just as a, well, no, a really, as a really rough timeline, you, you you're playing out. You know, you're starting to get those gigs. Is it is it already within your sort of repertoire that you're thinking about it, or does it come a little bit later? Like, where does that where does that sort of like? Because I mean, I suppose it was just bedroom bedroom practice, and then just the just doing it at work, like like at gigs, you just just end up sort of sprinkling a little little bit of it in and if it went well then it went well and then you think oh I'm going to do a bit more of that like it's not really what well, it was never really a sort of like thing like it is like even like well, I say like it is now like it was then like I was I never like a DMC DJ or do you know what I mean like your, yeah. your DJ Woody's your Cubert or anything like that I mean those guys are absolutely unbelievable yeah, at that side of things because to me like and, and I guess I have maybe a different opinion on it coming from the sort of the more like the more housey background a lot play open format as well but like coming from more housey yeah. background to me i see people like cuba and stuff and go and google him if you've never heard of him i see that as like weirdly i see that more like as performance it is it than is DJing. Yeah. like like to me djing is i mean and everyone can have a different thing but for me djing is playing records for people to listen to yeah. like cuba i don't feel like he's playing records for people to listen to he is performing yeah almost a routine he's even an if alien. it's not yeah, it's, yeah even it's, if it's not entirely practiced it's still a routine that is yeah. it's there to entertain me more than to make me dance and that's just my opinion and people can disagree uh, yeah with i mean me. I, I, I was I'm lucky enough I, I was lucky enough to see cuba at World um, no it was a traveler okay at, um Northumbria Uni, so okay. that would have been 98, 99, wow. maybe. Okay. So I was lucky enough to, to see him then. And I actually, like, I, I didn't I didn't really get it at the time, if I'm honest. Like, I knew what he was doing was technically amazing. Yeah. But, like, after sort of half an hour, you're sort of like, oh, wow, this is really good. But, like, you, you could see a few people going, oh, who, who obviously weren't necessarily, just were like, oh, Cubit yeah. is a big name DJ, we'll go and see him. Yeah. Who were just like, oh, I don't like. I don't, I don't really get this. Like, so yeah, I understand exactly what you mean in, in saying that. Like, it, it was. He's it, very much a DJ's DJ. You know what I mean? I'm not just picking yeah. on Cuba. I mean, a lot of those kind of yeah, routine, yeah, routine yeah. stuff. And like, again, it's not. It's not a, a criticism. It was just a guess coming it's from a that more far, far like mindset. It's a different wing of DJing, yeah, which, which is which is amazing. So, yeah. ta- so talk me through like, you know, and you can go into as, as much or as little detail as you want here. But like, talk me through just that sort of the arc of your your DJ like your gig and DJ career I guess like from those early beginnings like those Monday residences yeah. and stuff like 
you know, is there any big residencies that really stand out? Is there any kind of gigs that really stand out? Like just in that kind of career, is there anything, you know, like... There's loads of stuff really, man. Like um, some of, weirdly, some of it sort of came about through DJing, but wasn't necessarily DJing stuff. It's like, um, was I saying it was Reflex in Sheffield? Yeah. Yeah. I was in there constantly when I lived in Sheffield, and I got to know a guy called Jay Rugged. Who so you went to so went to uni in Sheffield. I went to uni. So, in Sheffield, so we're missing yeah. a bit link here. So this this New Year's Eve thing was pre uni. Yeah, that so was pre uni. So you went to uni for Sheffield. Yeah. Did you do loads of DJ while you were at uni? I <laughs> I didn't really do that much DJ in Sheffield. Uh, uh, I was still in Newcastle, like a complete lunatic DJing. Um, like oh, right, a couple so of nights a week, I was travelling all oh, the time. Right, I just lived on like Virgin trains. Okay. So yeah, I used to spend an awful lot of time travelling about uh, okay. up and down the country. But um, I. Uh, what gigs were you doing at the time then? So what were you doing? I was doing like the lounge. I was still doing Legends. Um, so what was that Monday night called? The Legends. Oh, God, it was just like R and B Mondays or something. Oh like right, that. okay. Yeah, it was just something pretty, pretty bog standard. So you were at uni, generic. but you were coming back up to do that residency. And stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was just you know, it was, it was, it was pretty long. But I knew it was something I wanted to do after uni. Yeah. And like you know, it was something that was. Pretty cool as well. Did, did at the that time affect it, your like social life and friends at uni? Yeah, you? it kind of did. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, it's. I, I lived. Luckily, I lived with some really nice people at uni, man. Um, I don't. I don't really speak to that much anymore. But you know, I still Facebook friends and whatever. They, they, but at the time, they were, they, were, people, they, were, they were cool. They were good, good mates, man. But like, I was never there. Like, yeah. I, I'd come. I'd come back either on a Saturday or Sunday because I had to. I had a last up here at the time. A girlfriend up here. Um, and then I'd go back on like Wednesday morning, having DJ like like a couple of nights, and then go and play football like <laughs> like in the sort of intramural things, and then go out and get slaughtered on a Wednesday night like most students do, the sports yeah. teams and that, and then do all of my uni work on a Thursday and Friday, <laughs> <laughs> and then go back on come back on the train. And then so then did did you ever do that thing like again? Shout out to Sean Hamilton. Did you ever do that thing of leaving uni and just being a DJ, or did you go straight into something else like daytime wise, job wise, or did you were you like I'm going to leave uni, and I'm just going to I'm just going to be a DJ? Or did... Um, I had like the odd like part time job and stuff like that, but okay. I was quite lucky. I still sort you were mainly supporting um, yourself. Really? I wouldn't even go as far as mainly support myself. Um, I was probably mainly support myself through part time jobs, but I knew okay. it wasn't what I really wanted to do. Okay. If you know what I mean, and okay. I knew like. If you wanted, I suppose it's what you were saying about seventeen-year-old, nineteen-year-olds now. Like, if if you want to do it, you've got to sort of—it's a passion rather than necessarily yeah. something that's going to make you lots of money short term. It's yeah. going to end up costing you a lot of money because this is still when I was buying loads of records. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I was by the time I'd finished uni, um, I was I was back up here, uh, worked Tesco for a bit, worked Levi's for a bit, you know, just like pretty much retail stuff. Yeah. And then. Yeah, I was. But- I always felt like that. Like, I guess, I guess, I guess, I still do in a way. But I always felt like that. I always felt like the times when I had the most gigs, I always felt like I would have done them all for nothing. Like, you know, don't tell promoters and club owners. <laughs> but I'd always felt like I'd have done them all for nothing because I loved them. Yeah. Like, and I would have been prepared to do something else to pay my way in life. Yeah. I was just lucky enough at that time for a long time to not have yeah. to do something else. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, I was probably just fucking lazy. But. But yeah, it is. It's yeah, good. I look back on my. T- I look back on. But it is a, good a lot of my twenties, and I'm like, Jesus, I could have done so much more with my t- with my time. But I think like pre kids. I, I think it is a good point. Like it's something probably we haven't maybe touched on the podcast before, which is like, it's it's. I don't think it's a. I think you'd be very. I don't think it's. I don't think it's something you could look at at seventeen, eighteen, and go right. I'm going to be a DJ, and I'm going to make lots of money. Yeah. Like unless you are an unbelievably talented producer, and even then, fucking good luck. 
I don't yeah. think it's something you can just decide that you want to do as a job. Yeah. Like, I think you've got to be prepared to sacrifice. I have sacrificed friendships. I've sacrificed places I live. I've sacrificed holidays, cars, yeah. all kinds of stuff just because I wanted to do that. Therefore, I either reinvested my money back into it yeah. and I was prepared to just earn less than my mates because yeah. I wanted to do that thing I was doing. Yeah. So <clears throat> don't get me wrong. I love it. And I reckon that, you know, if you love it, you should do it too. But, but there are sacrifices to be made. To yeah. Do it it's not, I don't so. think it's an easy it's not an easy it's not an easy path it's not an easy career choice yeah exactly as far as financially anyway yeah I mean then it got to the point where for me I was I was probably DJing I don't know three three maybe four nights a week and I was like I think I can pretty much do this yeah Um, and then I ended up getting sacked from Levi's for yeah because <laughs> you knew you could, yeah. It's well, no, uh, the, you know, it's just uh, it's not thing, thing, things. Things happen, <laughs> and you know, you, you, so, you, so, you get you, you, that, that's the that's the flip side of it. Things happen. It's mainly because I was tired. Because I was, of course, man. You know, you're doing you, you're like burning three, the candle, two, three, four in the morning or whatever. Properly burning the candle. Yeah, like it doesn't even exist in the middle anymore. There's nothing yeah. left of the candle. Um, and then I just ended up pretty much doing. DJing. So, how yeah. many years ish did you do? Sort of just do, just do, not just. I hate that term. <laughs> how many years did you sort of? Was that your main thing, like bread, like earning your living? Mm, probably talking 10, yeah, 10, so 10 to fourteen, maybe. Cool, yes, yeah, just about roughly. Yeah, maybe twelve, maybe twelve. And then I think the thing is, like, um, again, you know, it's been fresh faced twenty seven year olds. Obviously, there's some interesting things for us to talk about. I guess in that sense of like. Because it can all seem, at times, can seem very easy. See if you've got like those three or four gigs, earning decent money, enough money to it's like. The, it, it can seem, it can seem like you know you are living that dream. Yeah, but it also can end quite quickly. It can end massively quickly. <laughs> man. Like, I mean, I remember getting uh, talking to big going back to that point about big residencies and stuff. Yeah, I remember I'd just come back from uni and um, Matt from Love Doe was going to bring up Love Doe, yeah, and. Uh, he was like, look, like wanting to come and be like the like one of the residents on a Thursday, and I was like, all oh, right, yeah, man, down for that. I think I only d- ended. Up that doing must it. have just literally felt like. I mean, I remember having conversations like that. Must have just felt like becoming a rock star. Yeah, it was at the because time. At the like, time, was just a beast of a night. You're talking three thousand people on a Thursday. Right? Yeah, it was like, a beast. It was unbelievable, and this is like the the, the peak times of like you're crazy in love. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This is like yeah. 2003 to 2006. Banner after banner, yeah. getting released as fresh new tracks. Exactly, but this is when we're still playing new. now. Yeah, we're still playing. But it was now. new. That's yeah. the thing. Like I wasn't sick of it then. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think I think I lasted about six weeks. Like I don't necessarily think I did anything wrong. Um, but then, like you had like your your Devons and your players who are, yeah. I'll be honest, technically, like in especially in that sort of music, far far better DJs than me in terms of like the like you're cutting up and you're scratching and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and they ended up they ended up doing it. You know, it's just one of them things you've okay. just got to deal with them. On, do you know what I mean? Like it's one of them things. Yeah, and even I mean that was, but then that's you're even giving that example of like of a short term thing. Yeah. Whereas like I've experienced it, I'm sure you have, have been a resident, and it's gone on for years and years and years. And then you go, we're going to change. Yeah, we're going to change, or the venue changes, or the GM changes, or whatever, or like things, and it's just like. I've definitely like you know been super lucky and, I, and I've loved it, but like yeah, it it, it can change quickly. Um, it's all about so it's such an odd balance of not being complacent. But also being like, it, 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 I can't really explain it. The sort of like knowing that that's your gig and you're going to smash that gig every week for however many years. But then also almost knowing that it will come to an end at some point and yeah. being on the lookout for stuff without 
pissing them off too much. Yeah, it's I a also, weird. There's, there's, it's a there's, weird balance. There's, there's a there's a like it was in Chris Evans's autobiography, and I've, I've always like tried to remind myself of this like all the time. And he basically says like, I don't try and do every radio show as if it's my last because that's like sentimental bullshit. Like it was like, but I, I always try and do every radio show as if it's my first best one. Yeah, and I was like, and and it kind of sounds cheesy, but like I did residencies for fourteen years, for ten years, and it's like loads of times I would go in going like make this your first best night like, yeah. like you know don't go in and like play all the hits like it's the last time you're ever going to be there yeah. go in and make this you know what I mean the best yeah. night it can be tonight for you and the people that are there yeah um, it's a great way to approach it man yeah, and, it really and, is and it's uh, so and I mean just out of like I, I'll have my opinions but just out of just because again it's really interesting how do you see that arc of clubbing how do you think it's gone as far as Hunters, how do you think it's gone as DJs? Like over those sort of this like last fifteen odd years in Newcastle, how do you see that kind of arc? How do you see that that things have changed? Like you know, you don't have to go into ridiculous detail, but things since- have changed massively, man. I mean, like I just look at I look at like places that are strictly nightclubs now. I they are not open before eleven o'clock at night or yeah. ten o'clock at night. There's hardly any of them left. Yeah. Like and the ones that are struggling, really. exactly. Like the, pretty much because the the whole culture of Newcastle and the whole culture of drinking essentially has changed yeah. because a lot of your uni students don't drink anywhere near as much as what we did when we were at uni. Um, and locals, you just and don't locals, have that, yeah, you exactly. Don't have there's that, no disposable income. You don't, don't have, have that, that Friday, income. Saturday centre of town exactly. packed out. There's, there's an awful lot of stags and hens who've come up to to, to basically bolster the yeah. the Friday and Saturday night. Um, but looking, I mean, I just have to look at the at liquid, like yeah. as a as an example. Like, I mean, I, I worked there on and off for probably eight or nine years, and we used to put. I say we. I, I used to DJ to like three, three and a half thousand people on a Thursday night. Yeah, and like to the average eighteen year old who goes out now, that is just like Bananas. eh. That's that's festival. That's festival level. To it say, is. Yeah. It is festival levels. And I look back yeah. through some of the photos and stuff. I actually was um, actually took part in a book about the Oxford galleries. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I look back at looking back at some of the pictures, and I was just like, this actually, this was actually real. It actually happened. <laughs> but I mean, even just to put that into perspective, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not, you really don't know Newcastle, like. Liquid was basically a, a you know Liquid Envy. Um, yeah, it was like, a um, it was Luminar, Luminar, Luminar venue. Now Deltic. Now a lot of these venues like existed like a huge one in the outskirts of York. Yeah, like you know I, I've DJed in them in Bournemouth and all kinds of places. Like, but they they not many of them exist anymore. I think no. there's I think there's still a pretty big one in Leeds. Like there's like your prisms, the halos, isn't yeah, prisms. Yeah, prisms. The yeah. prisms are the new sort of incarnation of it. Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing that's that's also important to point out is like. Prison might be busy. Uh, there might be exceptions to the rule here, but prison might in Leeds might be busy on a Saturday night. Yeah, like but these clubs used to do three thousand people on Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, you know, they would do like I remember Octopussy. Yeah. I remember like you know those like squids in or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. or skints or well, whatever. Sk- I, that was skint. Well, I yeah. used to do on a Thursday. So yeah. they were like, and you know, you'd have like one or two, and even like love though, you know, like or whatever, yeah. like one, two, or three. Three, two and a half, three thousand people in the midweek. That's before your locals came in, your Radjis yeah. in, your like your Fridays and Saturdays. Like so that you know these clubs were turning over like fifteen, seventeen thousand people a week. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, insane. It's, it's mental. absolutely mental. And like yeah. now the sort of culture has moved more towards your sort of um like your afternoon drinking on a Saturday. Yeah. Like I mean I've I've gone past I've walked I'm, you know, I'm not gonna name names, but I've walked past venues 
at like half one, two o'clock in the morning on Saturday, which I thought, like, in my head, it was like, oh, the, the, and I've, I've gone past before at like midnight and it's been, and it's been heaving. Queue, yeah. And I've gone past at two and it's like, it's pretty sparse. Yeah. It's like, it's because people have been out since 12 o'clock. It's, it's interesting <laughs> the times, isn't it? Because ultimately, like, when I used to, when I first started DJing the club, our club opened at 9 p.m. Yeah. And it opened at 9 p.m. because all the pubs closed at 11 p.m. Exactly. And and basically, at the very least, all you were doing was paying to drink somewhere else. Like, yeah. So, like, yeah, there was yeah there was some nights where music mattered and everything else. But a lot of people literally left the pub at 10, quarter past half past 10, and went to the nightclub. Because it would be like, oh, it's free entry in before 10 yeah. and then uh, before 11, yeah. and it would be £8 after 11. Yeah. And then, so and you'd then, go in at 10.45 and have a pint. And then obviously one of the, one of the next... Big changes was that bars then remained open later. So then that was a massive change, especially in Newcastle. So then suddenly bars are open till two, one, two, three. So suddenly you go, well, why am I going to leave this bar that I'm in that's pretty nice and has a good DJ and has a dance floor and has everything else? Why am I going to leave here to go to a club? Like what's what's my motivation? Like on a on a Saturday, I think pretty much every week I get asked because I finish at two on a Saturday. Yeah, and it's in a bar. Yeah. I get asked, so where do we go after here? And I was like, you're going to struggle getting anywhere. Like, and that's, that, I mean, I don't know about the rest of the country, but, uh, well, I, I know some places, like in Manchester, yeah. you've got your 5 your 6 like London's obviously, like, you know, it's a different kettle of fish. Yeah. But um, Newcastle, other than maybe one or two places, nothing's really open past three-ish, no. like, realistically. No, it's casinos or strip clubs, isn't it? Yeah, that's if, what I always say. If you want like, drink, casinos yeah. or strip clubs, if you want to, yeah. if you want to stay out, that, that's pretty much your options. Yeah. Or there's, there's powerhouse. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. that's 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 open until six in the morning. Yeah. But like, you know, it's that that that's in itself. It's a niche market. Yeah. Um. There's there's not much motivation for people to go clubbing anymore because they get eighty five percent of it in a bar already. I think, and I think a lot of the other stuff again. It's like, and I will I will say I'm, I am complaining because I am reminiscent about those busy days, and, and I think they were great. But I think a lot of things that have have changed that are. You know, Tinder, Facebook, social media, different ways to consume music. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot, and it's probably better because a lot of those those younger people aren't drinking as much alcohol, which has to be a positive thing. Yeah. But you know, even to even to distill it down to almost its most base factor, when we were seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, if you wanted to meet a member of the opposite sex who wasn't <laughs> yeah. in your class at school, yeah, yeah. you you went to a nightclub? Yeah. Like, that's what you did? Like, okay, you might have met them it at... It sounds prehistoric. Yeah, it sounds ridiculous. But you might have maybe met them at, like, a sports thing you did. Yeah. Or, like, you know, or, or, or scouts or cadets or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. But unless they were in your class at school or in your, like, half you, of the you, year, year or whatever... Exactly. If you wanted to meet someone from a different school, you met them in a nightclub. Yeah. You met them in a nightclub when you were 16. Yeah. That's how it happened. You didn't meet them online. You didn't go on Tinder. You weren't on Facebook. You weren't friends with friends. You didn't share something that someone else commented on. Exactly. It just didn't exist. So if you wanted to meet someone else, you had to go to a fucking nightclub. See, it's like, like me and my wife have been together 15 years now. And like, when, it sounds crazy, but like, we, like, she was working in a bar and my best mate who had the belt drives, he yep. was DJing in that bar. And instead of really paying him much money, <laughs> they used to say, you can bring your mates to drink for free. I'm not being funny. They would have been better off paying him a grand to come DJ in that Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are. Because back in the days 
of actual turntable mixing, I found a lot more house DJs use the crossfader. Use the crossfader. You could set it so that it could fade in nice. Yeah, and it, I don't see it at all now, really, with house it's DJs. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know why that is. I don't know. I'm trying. I can't. I'm trying to think why. But I, I definitely remember watching people like Blah Blah Down, Jazzy M, and stuff. They would definitely fade. Yeah. House mixes yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred um, percent. I think maybe, maybe, maybe the thing is, I've kind of got a few story, but no, no, that's I'm cool. just we'll trying get to think. The, think the thing is now, if I think about it, on Pioneer you can set the crossfader to almost. Sorry, not the crossfader. You can set the channel fader. Yeah, you can to almost fade in. Yeah. Whereas you definitely couldn't no, back there was then. No, there was, yeah. it was, it, I think it Didn't almost got to like seven. It almost like, it was nothing, 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 nothing. Boom. In. Yeah. And I think that's maybe why house DJs used that kind yeah. of slightly more feathered like... Yeah, because this equipment wasn't quite could. as... Uh, Sorry to come off. No, nah, that's there. cool, man. The, the equipment probably wasn't quite as um, user-friendly. You know yeah. what I mean? How, now, how did you feel? Can you remember there being a difference from being at home and practicing on the Geminis and stuff and getting to a club and being on... It was it, it, there was still a difference, but okay. there was a hell of a lot less difference yeah. than the walls from the belt drive. Did you would you have taken your own cartridges and needles and stuff to gigs? Yeah, like, you were happy, man. Yeah, right. Okay. Oh, so, oh, so, yeah, so, so clubs just didn't they just not have them on the turntables? Yeah, generally, or? yeah. Like there'd either be nothing there. Yeah, there was, actually, we're looking looking back. Yeah, there was nothing there. So you had to take your own. Yeah, to take your own. Yeah, and eventually I had them for a long time, um, and then I. I see it upgraded. I've got a different mixer. I've got a, got a new mark mixer, which I still have, actually. It's a good little mixer. Nice. Um, it's a, what was it? D, DXM06. It had, like, kill switches and, like, had a decent little effects thing on it and that. But, but you know, I'm just... What, Do you know, weird. taking you back to Legends, mm-hmm. New Year's Eve, 2000 to 2001, mm-hmm. what would the, the DJ setup have been in Legends, do you think? <laughs> right. If I can remember rightly, like... I'm sure somebody else that DJed there would probably no, that's pretty niche. They'd probably um, <laughs> probably tell me differently, but the decks were at right angles to each other with a sort of mixer. Like if you imagine so it, it's like, like a corner, corner of a square. So you're in you're in the corner, and the corner of the square, the um, the the mixer is sort of pointing into the corner of the square. Oh god! Yeah. So you're sort of like you're stood here with like one one deck. To be fair, it was better than a lot of DJ booths I've been in. Liquid. Did it have? But would it have had CDJs in there? No, oh, no, God, no. no like this is pre CDJs. So, so we had. The, there was. Well, I say CDJs. Um, this. Would there have been a double denim? There was a double denim sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a denim. Um, but you wouldn't have played off CD at that point. I didn't played, really have the CD collection at that point. So you played entirely off vinyl. Yeah, because it had more of what I wanted to sort of play and like, you know, sound like a dinosaur. But like, no, it was real DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CD wasn't do, when, when do you remember it? When do you remember it? Like changing then? Do you remember? Like, did you ever like bought one CDG? Got so, one CDG because it got to the point where you were getting to more and more clubs, and there was was there more there, or was there more and more music that you couldn't, music get, that on couldn't vinyl. get on vinyl? It was right. impossible to get on vinyl. Like, and it was the, the you're sort of probably talking 2005 to 2007, eight, where you had like your sort of you you, you big, what well, I say, big name, um, you. you R&B mixtape DJs in the States, it wasn't even a mixtape. It would just be, these are the songs I've managed to find off LimeWire. Right. And then they would get put out on a bootleg CD. Yeah. But by the time they would have then been able to make it to vinyl, they weren't new enough to be the new big thing. Yeah. So you would you would be able to pick up a bootleg CD and play it if you had a CDJ. But if you were waiting for okay. records, 
it was it wasn't really worth it to be honest. So that's why I ended up getting a CDJ. How did you, as someone who learned on vinyl, how did you find like using CDJs? I, I quite enjoyed it because it was it, the the reason I actually really got a CDJ. The Pioneer was a Mark Three, I think, okay. um, one thousand Mark Three. Um, because it was touch sensitive, so it was almost like yeah. it was a vinyl emulation. So I quite and enjoyed you use that, it on like, vinyl, right? Yeah, because so I've yeah. always used it on vinyl. I don't get how stages that use it on CDs. <laughs> it's just boring, boring, boring out. on CDs. But I think it's because I learned on vinyl, like yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so I just I don't so understand that. You can that. scratch it in like yeah, that. Do you know what I mean? You can bring a record in. Like I've that. done that. I mean, I've done that recently in like digital. I've been like scratching a house record in, not live, like yeah, yeah, down yeah. The in, in the headphones, yeah. But then letting it go. And like this kid came up to me and went, What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just mixing it in. And they're like, How? And you're like, I'm just hearing, I can just, I know yeah, where yeah. The, the beat is yeah. and let it's it go. There. I can see it. Yeah. And he's like, But you haven't touched it again? And you're like, Because it's just in. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, and it's that, but that thing, which I just, is just completely missing from a generation or whatever or two of DJs of, Dropping that beat on top of the other beat, yeah, like it's just and, and, and like because it, it's that thing that you and I'm not put me on turntables now. I would look like a fool, but 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 that even that come to that in a minute, but, but yeah, but, but but that thing of almost I can't explain what it is, like how you know where the gear stick is in your car, how blah blah blah, yeah, yeah, completely. So that thing of like once you've heard where the beat is three times on your finger, you know it's there. You yeah. can take your headphones off within reason and go. That's it. That's it. People are looking at you like, it's, it's, yeah. And again, I'm, I'm not saying I could do it on vinyl right now, but I, on CDJs, I find it I find it very, relatively easy. Yeah, it's, it's pretty easy. The difference between CDJs and your vinyl is generally your CDJ is not going to skip the beat. Whereas if you do it on vinyl, and, <laughs> and the talk and everything else. Right. So, and my next question, I guess, was going to be like, at what? And I know I'm skipping big junk chunks here, but like. Was there a point when you like started to turn up for gigs with records and they just didn't have turntables? Like, um, not that I necessarily remember. Okay. Like, I, I eventually, I think, made the switch. I made the switch to CD. I think more because I went, okay. I went from vinyl CD then Serato. I didn't just go from vinyl to laptop like yeah. a lot, like a lot of people did. I sort of went through a few years of sitting and burning thousands oh, and thousands yeah. of CDs. My my mate, I've got this. Grim. I've got this huge thing, like yeah. huge CD wallet. My mate calls it the party. Maplins. My mate calls it the party bible. It's just yeah. like full of CDs with like like marks on it. Like it's yeah. hardly even like there would be a time when I had like a template and I'd print out, I'd write out the track list and I'd print it out. And like, but like, there's also just CDs with just like marks, different coloured pens, like and I'd be like, oh no, track sevens. That. Exactly. Because <laughs> what I used to do, I wouldn't know what the three, the first six tracks were. I wouldn't even listen. No. I just know I know that track seven on that track seven's mark. a one. <laughs> It's almost like those people that come up and they go, have you got track 17 off Clubland 36? Oh, yeah. And like, I'm like, no, but like, we we are almost that guy. But, actually. But, but see, this is the thing that I think is, is bananas now, right? And it's definitely a thing in the house community and it's definitely a thing in the hip-hop and R&B mute community for slightly different reasons. But mainly because I guess a lot of house DJs play off USB now. I guess a lot of um, guys are not play off laptops. Yeah. But the main thing is now, now and probably for the last... I don't know, four or five, six years, we face the crowd all the time. Yeah, yeah. The crowd are used to seeing you be there. Yeah. And I'll come back to, to that for a second point. Because what used to happen was, used to play the record you wanted to play and turn around. And disappear. And looking disappear, through records. going through records, going through CDs. And I think it's like, I do also think, and I don't know if it's a big thing in like, in, in like that, that's like the hip hop R&B thing, 
but now there's this like there's a lot of hatred on DJs who just pretend to be touching stuff. Yeah. But it's like what, what the am fuck I meant else to do for they? the next four minutes? <laughs> yeah. Like and, and you're just looking down, twizzling a knob on a on a CDJ. Now get you know there's a bit of laptop touching and stuff, but like people forget. Like in you know I remember like. Um, you know, you would go into venues and there'd be a, there would be a shelf behind you yeah. with a light. Yeah, and that was, was lush. And, <laughs> yeah, I remember was... complaining when um, when Julie's turned into blue on Newcastle Keyside, and like Julie's was a, an institution for for R and B and hip hop. Man, it, I mean, you're probably talking even twenty years before that it was a, yeah. it was a massive nightclub for years. And when it changed, I remember like, this is another point, and I'm sure you'll agree with me. I know a lot of DJs do actually. Um, when DJ booths get designed. The DJ is the last person who is involved, if they are involved at all. Like, generally, like, I remember going in and it was tiny. The DJ booth was tiny. Like, you're talking it was probably, like, I don't know, two and a half feet long, like, to stand in. And then there was a fold-down shelf that came in, like, behind (laughs) the door. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm quite a big guy. And, uh, yeah, I remember being like, bloody hell, I'm going to have to make the switch to CD. Because they, they still had turntables, but they had CDJs as well. I'm saying, I'm going to have to make the switch to CD because we'll there's nowhere to put fucking anything at all. You can't put anything anywhere. So that's why I'm like, now I, I love playing off the USB. Like, because most of the time I will just play off the USB if the kit's there. Yeah. Because, you know, I can just turn up with. So that's interesting. So you, so you basically chose to go to CD. Because of the music, yes. more than anything else, less less to do with turntables or like equipment. More, you were like, I can get the music that I need to play yeah. digitally. Yeah. So there's no point. Like, um, and at that time, were was was you were you aware of the the DVS like sort of thing, or was sort it, of? Because um, it wasn't. I don't remember it being a big thing when like CDs. I don't remember it being. Like, it wasn't for a while. It sort of took a long time to scra- to to, um, to catch on to scratch on me. Yeah. Um. The I think it was was it was it vinyl scratch. I think it might have been. I remember them having a setup in Aitken Brothers. Okay. I remember me and me mate with the belt jives going in and being like, "Oh, that's never going to catch on." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because it wasn't very good. Yeah. At the time, it was like it. It seemed it seemed too far into the future yeah. to sort of because we you know we were still like HMV was still taking an awful lot of my money because we were buying CDs yeah. wasn't necessarily downloading that much music yeah um, but yeah I, I was sort of exposed to it then but I remember uh, Devon getting SL one box and I remember Pete having an SL one box yeah. and I remember being like oh wow this is actually pretty good yeah. so they were looking it in, hooking it into the yeah. The CDJs, yeah, and I was like, "All right, okay, this is." But they were doing really it. They weren't cool. doing it on turntables yet. They were doing it. On they CDJs. were doing it. They were yeah. doing it on CDJs yeah. for the sole reason yeah. that clubs had basically yeah. binned off turntables yeah. because nobody was yeah. using vinyl. So we were quite lucky in a way that um, that Serato Scratch Live worked with CDJs. Otherwise, it would have been pretty much. But was there a point, like you said, you had that one CDJ? There was a point when you were mixing between vinyl yeah. and CDJs. Yeah, 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 and yeah, 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 like. Like literally open format, and then and then yeah. you sort of moved from from the CDs to Serato with Serato. with turntables or on the CDs with CDJs in clubs and with turntables and at home because cool. didn't have CDJs in the house. Yeah, and didn't um, have turntables in the clubs. I exactly, guess. pretty yeah. much. So it was, I suppose, in a way, it sort of improves your skill set because you're pretty yeah. much prepared to play off anything, really. Yeah, um, and then eventually. Uh, and then did the USB was the USB thing alongside that, or did the USB replace CDs? USB essentially, I mean, Serato completely replaced CDs for a while. Yeah. Um, and then I was just like, you know what? 
I don't particularly like bringing my laptop to the club, and there's okay. still it, it's like what we were saying before about there's still quite a lot can go wrong with vinyl in most places. Well, I say most places. If a, if if the club has not necessarily Nexus kit, but if it's got USB capable Pioneer CDG kit, yeah. I know I can turn up because I use Record Box a lot now. Yeah, um, as well as Serato, I probably use Record Box seventy thirty to Serato. Do, do you organise your music in iTunes? Um, yes and no. It's it's important. I'm I'm not particularly great with computers, if I'm honest. Okay. Um, I it's still important through iTunes. Still buy the old bit off iTunes and Bandcamp and all sorts. But, but where then, do you organise it? Or? I organise it in crates within record box right, okay. generally. Um, so even that. if you were going to use Serato on your vinyl, it would would, would does Serato suck it through from from record? Box? It doesn't. You've got something called Record Buddy, um, but I haven't. I've never really bothered with it. But that's I had. Um, Going back to the kit, I bought a um, Newmark NS6, which was like the first four-channel, like essentially, controller. Okay. And I bought that literally on the day it came out after I'd watched the promo videos for months. And I was like, right, I need to, I need to get hold of that. It's really good. So, so that, was, that, like, so was, that was that like a Serato controller? Yeah, it was a Serato controller. So that was a standalone. You had your laptop and you had that and you could DJ. And that was it. And, and that you was could it. DJ cool. with that. Right, so okay. basically, that, that essentially was then a replacement for... Two CDJs yeah, and, and realistically a four-channel mixer, yeah. um, which was amazing. Um, just unfortunately at the time it was Serato Itch, which like it, now they've combined everything all together because it was Scratch yeah. Live and Itch, and now they've combined it all as one as DJ and DJ Pro. Yeah, um, Itch wasn't the best piece of software, um, and that that was the controller piece of software, and Scratch Live was the um, was the sound card, the external sound card piece of software. Yeah. Um, but I ended up using that for a while, but they would run off the same library, so that was quite good. Um, and then uh, I just wore the controller into the ground, <laughs> basically, and ended up getting a, a new one. I was actually using Recordbox quite a lot at other gigs where I wasn't having to take a controller because they had they had good CDGs. Yeah. So I was playing off the USB quite a lot. And I was getting to the point where I was absolutely sick of managing Serato and managing Recordbox. Yeah. It was basically managing two music Just libraries. Twice. Yeah, and then, and then, a pain then in not the having one thing somewhere, a different library, exactly. a different playlist. And, and yeah, it hasn't been hasn't been read into like yeah. this program yet. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try and I'm, so I'll end up getting a Recordbox controller. Now, apart from when I've had the opportunity to go and use like S9 if it's in a club or something, because I've still still got Serato. Yeah, um, like. I'm 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 using Metalbox quite a lot to be honest. If the kit's there to use Serato in the club, I can I'll just use it. But so what? So out of what would you be your number one choice now? Like if if you were given a choice, what would you want to DJ off? Given choice today, like gig tonight, I'm covering your gig tonight. But <laughs> yeah, gig, you gig, gig tonight, what if number one choice? Like not what was just available. If you like, what would you be most comfortable on? I.e., if you just had your say, what would you choose to DJ from? What what equipment? Um, I. I'd like. I really like S nine. Like with turntables, either either with turntables or CDJs. Or CDJs. I'm, I'm pretty easy to be honest. Okay. It's it, it it's sort of gone full circle from when we started. I think that back in the day, it was a lot more about your actual decks, like your CDJs or your vinyl. Yeah. And now I find it's an awful lot more about what the mixer is actually capable of. Okay. Like you look at like your um you know your top of the range pioneer stuff like the the effects and stuff on that yeah. and like how good the crossfader is and everything those like that 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 essentially makes you set it doesn't 
really matter what format you play music off your mix it can make you set like see, in my, see, see interestingly like so I I had similar journey like vinyl then went to CDs 8 million um, CDs yeah, yeah then, <laughs> then went to like Serato with, with a laptop on CDJs yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and then after doing like a load of research I switched from Serato to Tractor yeah and the reason I did that was I was playing predominantly a lot of house sets. Yeah. And Tractor at the time, I don't think this is the case anymore. I haven't looked into Serato recently, which is probably lazy. At the time, Tractor felt to me like it had a lot more, like the loops were better. They had some effects. Yeah, I've heard that a lot of house DJs, yeah. It was better. And they also had these, like... um I remember, the like, X1. Yeah, so, yeah. And I remember, like, cause I think when I had Serato, I had Dice or something. Yeah, and, I love the Dice's. Dice's were and, wicked. And, like, so, but then, like, so I bought Tractor. I bought this, like, X1 controller. I bought, like... Yeah, and it was, like, for me just really interesting about what you're saying, for me, it took the quality of the mixer out of the fucking game. Ah, be- right. Be- because basically, you could have just given me a two-channel mixer with um, yeah. with, with EQs, yeah. and I could do better stuff with my X1. I could loop stuff up. I could do all manner of effects. Yeah. And it was at the time I was doing a bit more touring, not great gigs always. Like, I wasn't touring festivals. I was touring, like, little, smaller little clubs. And sometimes you'd turn up and just, like... Shit it's would be there. shoddy or like you know like it wasn't it wasn't that pint that big pint that I was seeing dancing but it, didn't was, but it didn't matter because I felt like I took control yeah. of that to me with yeah. with my stuff, um, and interestingly like just on the like just touching it I know there's a lot of chat now about like iTunes and Apple and everything else I, I hate I hated it. iTunes when I first got it but now I love it from the sense that like I've been managing my music in iTunes for over ten years yeah. Um, so all my playlists and I make endless kind of playlists. I play. I make playlists for gigs. I make playlists for like moods. I make playlists for tour shows. I make playlists for support shows. Yeah. I make playlists for months. I make like literally never ending amounts of playlists. All trees and trees and trees and trees. And what I love about it was Tractor just sucked it straight through. Yeah, that was great. Record box tracks it straight through. So if I'm loading up USBs because I always take USBs to gigs yeah. anyway as backup. Um, like I, I love that about it. And then what we were saying before about like going all the way back to crate digging. Like what I love now is, is like I can literally go back and go like, oh, what sort of, you know, what sort of records was I playing at that gig yeah. ten years ago? Yeah, that's and good. I can just go back that's and really I can good. like, and, and or I can even go into Tractor and look at the histories. Yeah. So weirdly, like, because my and I'm sh- no yours is even just my digital music library is so vast. Yeah, it's crazy. That I can't remember what I was playing, what mixes I was playing, what versions, what even like other stuff. Yeah. So it's like there's crate digging where you literally you know go to a shop or go to someone else's house or whatever. But like I can spend an hour happily just crate digging through my own oh, music absolutely. library yeah, man. that I've forgotten that I was ever yeah. playing. Yeah. And like and then suddenly I'm going, fuck that record's awesome. Like, why am I like <laughs> so for me it's a roughly fifty fifty split of gun. <laughs> Jesus yeah, that Christ did I play that? Jesus, that's yeah. awful. But yeah, but like even just crate digging through my own through my own collection, yeah. like sometimes can can bring me real joy and bring up little it can, gems. Yeah, yeah. It's just like the sort of I mean I, I what I always love is like I there's there's a guy I listen to who is radio shows amazing um, complexion um, but he sort of introduced me to sort of like the whole sort of like I suppose genre of future beats and then from off of that like it's digging on SoundCloud and digging on like all of those things for like random like re-edits of like yeah. songs that like you've stopped playing and then they've been completely yeah. flipped and, I'm and glad updated you, and I'm glad you brought that up because that for me like if that some, made me re-interested in DJing yeah well, well I was going to say to me that for me is I think, and it's controversial because the equipment's a big thing, I think that, for me, is the biggest difference for me in DJing now than DJing 10, 15 years ago because 
10, 15 years ago, you know, and it's changed a lot of people's lives. Like, you know, Morales would get paid £25,000 to remix, you know, the latest Jimmy Require record exactly. or whatever, right? They don't pay those remix fees anymore now no. because 150 to 300 people will remix that record for nothing. Exactly. And it will be available on SoundCloud. Exactly. So, and, or, or wherever, different play- portals, DJ City, whatever. Like, And it will still get put out to shitloads of people. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it's, and, and that's what makes, that's what gives you the ability as a DJ to sound different from other DJs. Exactly. It gives you the ability to play a, diff- a different mix, a different edit. The fact that it's even so easy for me to go into Ableton and chop stuff up and rearrange things, like that to me is what's changed the game. The platform on which we play on, I don't give a fuck about and I make that point all the time. I don't give a fuck about if you play on turntables, if you play on a, a controller, if you play on, I don't really care. Come and play on fucking Ableton. I don't give a shit. Like make people dance, entertain people, have a good time. But for me, what's changed the game is the ability for everyone's sets to be so completely different yeah. from pub to pub and it's that's why it's lazy when you go to you know places and it, and it does sound quite similar now don't get me wrong I'm massively guilty for playing big hit records I, yeah. I love it but at the same time you can then differentiate by finding other little edits other little bootlegs it's like say, say for example as me like I'll put, you know when I do a Saturday night in, like, in a big mainstream bar so I'm, I'm not playing underground shit yeah, do you know what I mean but you can play different edits of stuff. It's, it's not for me. It's not even edits, man. It's using it's using acapellas. Cool. It's using instrumentals. It's, yeah. it's it's essentially almost like I don't know, man. Like I know it's been done like years ago, but it's like almost like the, was it the mashup boys back yeah. in the day? Like yeah. that. That's like doing that sort of thing, like using loops, acapellas, instrumentals, yeah. like filtering stuff in and just making it sound different. Because yeah. at the end of the day, man, we could all stand there and play an hour and play like I don't know. 12 to 15 we could all play the same records and all but it's how we play them yeah i think it's making interesting i think weirdly it would be much more difficult for 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 10 djs to play the same 10 records now it would have been so much easier 15 years ago because we were all going to if i just drill it right down into like you know the house thing yeah we if if you live in newcastle you were all going to one record shop to buy records of two lads who had the same records to give to everyone yeah do you know what i mean so like so if you 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 could have gone to seven different bars in newcastle 15 years ago and heard the the same same set because that's what they were given yeah do you mean there's no fucking like it's not even as an excuse i just don't think it would happen now because every dj is on a different site looking at different place getting different music sent from different things exactly i think i think it 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 will sound different um i love it man i wanted to talk to you about going when I say going back because I don't I, I obviously like follow you on socials and stuff but I want to, to talk to you about going back into doing the live stuff like <laughs> right it's it, it it's always sort of been there I mean like even going back to like the, the uni days like when I was at when I was at uni um, so you're talking like 2003-4 is when it sort of happened like when I was talking about Reflex in Sheffield ended up meeting the DJ in there um, and I was walking around the shop singing because weirdo. Um, and he was like, "Oh man, you got a really good voice singing Roger Davis Junior Gabriel." Yeah. Um, it was playing in the shop, and he was like, "Oh, I need you to meet me, mate." Uh, so we ended up ended up meeting up with his mate, and we ended up actually forming a group. Um, we were on we we were the, one of the first UK acts to appear on iTunes nice. in the UK. Um, uh, what else did we do now? We're on done something on Channel Four. It was shit. Um, <laughs> We were on One Extra, we appeared on Radio What was the name one. of the group? We were called The Infamous. Cool. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there was like, it was me singing, there was a last singing, um, there was a guy rapping, and there was a guy doing sort of like bashment, like, like okay. dancehall stuff. Like, Paul is doing really well now, man. He's like, he's two in the world, like the, the, the bashment guy. Um, and Lewis, who basically produced all of our music, but he'd just, he'd been signed to TBT previously. Okay. Um, but it was weird because we ended up just sort of meeting and just performing this sort of, not crew, but you know what I mean, like, yeah, yeah. for want of a better word. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, eventually, that sort of fizzled out after a couple of years because I came back up here and it was just it was, it was too far to, to go because you know you know making money out of music like money yeah it can be hard especially the live stuff. Um, then I sort of didn't really do that much for a couple of years and then ended up working again with Wayne. Um, yeah, as mentioned before. Uh, and what's, we, the, what's the free doing with Wayne? I did something through Generator. Um, oh, cool, yeah, Jim and that, yeah. Uh, it was a, I can't remember what it was called now, the programme. It was like a workshop thing. It was almost like for, a workshop or thing. Like, or an education thing for young kids trying to get into stuff. Not necessarily, well, no, it was like, it was basically like, uh, if you were a singer or a performer okay. in the Northeast, we'd pair you up with a oh, producer. Oh, cool. okay, yeah, wicked. So, like, the, weirdly enough, the, the last who I sing with now, she worked with, I think she worked with Smooth. Okay. So, like, you know what I mean? Newcastle's Village, man. Um, I ended up working with Wayne, and we put uh, we ended up writing She's a few funny, songs together. funny, because obviously Wayne was almost the first person exactly. exactly. It's, 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 it's circles and circles, man. Yeah. I ended up working with him, um, doing a song called I'm Ready, uh, and another one called Roll the Dice. Ended up putting an album out, um, like, self funded, yeah, yeah. and ended up meeting another one of my best mates, Steve, who produced pretty much the rest of the album. We wrote and produced most of it together. Um, like I'm ready did relatively well like one extra and stuff like that nice. um, this is like it, when it played a lot more R&B if you know what I mean like yeah. soulful stuff yeah Um, then that didn't really go the exact way I wanted it to go but then I was still working with Stish on um on stuff and he ended up well he was a rapper as well as a producer and he's, like his work rate was ridiculous it was so good um, we ended up forming Big Beat Bronson. Well, I was part of Big Beat Bronson. I yeah. sort of s- stood at the back and pressed play and did some DJing and stuff, yeah. a few cuts. Um, that ended up being... I remember that. 2011, 12-ish, maybe. So you sort of took like little breaks in between doing the live stuff. But like, Big Beat Bronson went pretty well. Um, we did Secret Garden Party, did Tea in the Park, um, opened Evolution Festival. Yeah, man. Uh, what else did we do now? Um so what happened BBC every do one big weekend. And what happened uh, with that? We ended up uh, we we ended up getting signed to a label, and then it just didn't work out, man. Like it's, you know, it's music it's, industry. It's, exactly, it's music industry. It didn't work out, um, and it got to the point where there was I think it was nine or ten of us like trying to rehearse all the time and around family, and yeah, it just it was it was really it just got too it got too big to sort of handle essentially, yeah. um, and then we just stopped doing stuff like that. Um, I did the odd sort of, I did a couple of drum and bassy bits with Phobia. Um, I don't yeah. know if you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uncle Phobes. Shout out, Phobes. Um, did a few bits with them. Uh, and then I pretty much packed in singing for quite a while because I just couldn't really be bothered and I couldn't see a, I couldn't really see a sort of end project of it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, in, in t- like obviously you can't really see us on here you probably look us up online but like I'm big white Geordie bloke who doesn't really sound like that when he sings um, <laughs> to put it lightly well Lewis um, Capaldi doesn't really sound like he yeah does. it's he true that's true that's true but this is this is like 10 years prior to Lewis Capaldi you know yeah. what I mean like um, so there wasn't really there wasn't necessarily a market for that there that was my sort of view so I just sort of thought oh, obviously it's not I, think the I can't really be bothered do, yeah I think the music industry does that to a lot of people at a lot of different stages it does people still come back from it yeah. but I definitely had that moment do you know what I mean when I was yeah. just like oh do you know fuck do you know what like, say people telling me about, they were just like right if you want to make it as a if you want to make it as a singer you need to lose six stone and I was just like right that's great advice but like you know, I need some actual advice here do you know what I mean like 
Like that that sort of thing was uh, not that helpful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I sort of packed in for a while, and then ridiculously, I uh, was watching. This is gonna. This is like the least credible thing in the world, man. Um, I was watching Tom Jones and Beverly Knight's Christmas special at like midnight on like. That's now Christmas Eve or something a few years ago. That's pretty years ago. That's pretty but they had House Gospel Choir on, yeah. who are amazing. Yeah. And I was like, I need to try and find a choir to sing with here. Um, so they're talking like two o'clock in the morning, me on Google going, <laughs> Choirs, Newcastle, blah, 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 blah. First result, um, offer free taste session, come down, voice of town. And I was just like, right, I'm going to go down, see what it's like. And, uh, it was it was wicked, man. It was it, it was. You've done something so like nice. take that and also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a it's been a it's been a wild yeah. Um, so I, t- I turned up this first rehearsal, and uh, I was just like, still, you know, I haven't sung in a few years. I was a bit nervous. I knew I was still sing, but a bit nervous. And they were like, right, we're gonna do joyful, joyful. Now, like, Sister Act Two is the greatest film of all time. <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> I was like, right, I'm signing up. I'm, I'm in. Done. Where, where, I'm done. Yeah. Where do I need to put pen on paper? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, this year has been really good. I ended up, I've ended up having like a solo with them, um, which is like it gets really well received. We just do like covers of stuff. Yeah. It's um, Human by Ragnar Uh And then, like this year, we've done like done like a few few shows and stuff. But the the, the take that thing was just insane. Like, I mean, it was what thirty. 33,000 people at Riverside Stadium. Yeah, thought I was nervous at uh, Legends on New Year on that there first gig, go. man. Jesus Christ, that was a that that was a, a different experience altogether. So yeah, like this, and then through choir, I ended up um, meeting Ruth, um, who I'd sort of known through bands and stuff like ten years previously, and she was like, "Oh, we should try and go and do some wedding singing or something like that." Cool, because we both like 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 neo soul, nineties R and B, Maxwell, the D'Angelo, yeah, that sort of thing. Um, and it was just like right, yeah, we'll 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 have a go at that, and it's gone all right actually. We're, it's, we're, it's gone really. Right. Does it, like, has that fed? Has that passion fed back into your DJ? And has it like as it as as obviously your knowledge of music has helped with singing? Like, how do you find the synergy between the two? It's um, it's got me more back into writing, which has okay. been good. Um, like, like I say, because when when you lose your mojo for doing something, it's quite hard to get it back. Yeah. To get the to get the wheels turning again, and once the wheels were turning again, I've sort of done a bit more. Like I'm I'm writing with uh, well, writing and doing some singing with um, Lee Walker. You know, um, yeah, freak like me, yeah. Um, so I'm doing some bits with him. I've just got like I, I want to do some more revocaling stuff, and obviously like the I've got more. I've sort of tried to move a bit more away from like sort of open format and like big room stuff and do some more sort of specialist gigs as well because cool. I can play a bit more music that I really like rather than yeah. what I know other people like do you know yeah. what I mean? it's a it's a balance man it's DJ, you know I mean? yeah. it is it's a balance so this the singing stuff's been the sort of bit of a saving grace in a way to be honest it's been it's been really nice to get back into it cool man right we're gonna wrap it up cool. the way that I wrap up every podcast cool. it's gonna be a different answer from you I guess than other people <laughs> don't feel constrained by anything basically what we do is we kind of curate your dream gig. So you're going to give me a venue. It can be a venue that you've played. It can be a venue that you've been to. It can be a venue that you just have heard of. It can basically almost be a made-up venue. Like if you just go on it to be like, I wanted to st- a stage on the town hall. It can be, yeah, yeah. the venue can be whatever the fuck you want. It right. can be a club you've played. Like you say, it can be anything you want. And then we're going to have three acts like on your bill. You can perform on the bill. You can perform solo. You can perform as part of your choir. You can perform back-to-back. You can do what you want. Or you can just create your three acts. Those acts, again, can be 
bands, choirs, DJs. Yeah. A lot of the time in the previous podcasts, it's been All a housey DJ yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. But other people have named bands and vocalists. You can back to back people, so you can you know you can stick jazz, yeah. Jazzy Jeff in with Cuba, whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, total yeah. dream, dead or alive, whatever. Um, <laughs> you, I don't think you've really prepared for it, which is good. Um, <laughs> but no, it's just always interesting, man. And it's just like in the moment right now, what, what, what's take what springs to mind. So. First question is, what's the venue? Are we going big? Are we going small? Are we going festival? Are we going club? I think we're going club. I, I, club? I, 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 I like I like clubs, man. Like festivals, like I don't really have that much experience with festivals apart from the band. So I'd, yeah. I'd, 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 I'd say club. Um, yeah, a couple of thousand people maybe. That'd be nice. Cool. Still small Like a enough. liquidy type thing? Or? Yeah, like a, a liquidy type thing, but maybe it's a bit more, maybe it's a bit more um, <laughs> credible. For, okay. For, for, for better words. Okay, yeah, cool. I'll get you. Um, DJ lineup wise, yeah. So, and so I use the, I use the term three acts wisely in the sense that there's not a headliner, so yeah. it's not we're not building up to act three. Yeah, they yeah. can go in any order and they yeah. can be as crazy as you want. I definitely Jazzy Jeff. Like I've been lucky enough. Like I've played with him three times. He's a nice. He's a, he's a really nice guy. Um, yeah. Picked yeah. him up from the airport once in a, in a in a in my battered old BMW. Pick, oh, did you take him up to with... digital? No, I took him to digital many many years ago. Jesus, that's for, for Dave. Must have been a while ago. Dave Stone, yeah, I mean a good good 10, 12 years ago. That's probably the, that's probably the least scary journey he's had from um, from Newcastle. <laughs> when I always thought, right when when um, when Jazzy Jeff did uh, Hesketh, the, yeah, when he did Hesketh's um, private booking, yeah, um, he. Um, that, I can just imagine rolling out of Newcastle Airport and every other gig you do, driving to the city centre, there's lights, there's this. <laughs> yeah, now, this it. private gig is literally in, it's pretty much in the middle of a national park, so there's not even any street lights, let yeah. alone like like neons and stuff. I can yeah. just imagine them going, Jesus. Well, I was there, yeah. but I had to leave to go and do a gig for Mike. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't, was, see, I didn't see you or Jeff. Um, yeah, I can just imagine them pulling up and just being like, where the fuck are we going? <laughs> This is scary. Have you seen Hostel? Yeah, I've seen Hostel. Yeah, it's a bit like this. Um, but yeah, I'd have, I'd definitely have so Jazzy Jeff. Hundred percent Jazzy Jeff. Yes, yeah. amazing DJ. Um, Diplo. Okay. Um, Didn't see that coming. Absolutely, like Dip, Diplo. Like in terms of like create digging, in terms of um, like energy. Like I was lucky enough to be in the booth when he was on the digital. What ten years ago, maybe yeah. that was. Like my chest hurt coming out of that coming out of that booth. It was amazing. Nice. And uh, Kitchenada, in terms of DJs. Who's that? Uh, Canadian DJ, sort of on. Uh, right, I have to uh, go and. I yeah. Have to go and... Do, look at his boiler room, man. Kitchenada's boiler room's right, insane. I'll check I feel embarrassed to not know. Nah, that, nah. But... He's, he's, I, I think you like it, man. It's sort of bridging that gap between um, R and B, soul, and like proper like good house music okay cool man I um, definitely have to stick, stick a live act or someone I'd probably be Little Brother or Dwelly they would probably be my two nice my two well favorites. LKP thank you so much for a chat it's been delightful no problem uh, catch one. you again soon man nice one see you Felix Leiter's In The House the podcast about DJs what they do and who they are